Well, Tyler, this is this is going to be a long one. Yep, strap in. Yeah, so maybe maybe we should do some like some calisthenics or some warm ups or something. I mean, I've just been doing squats the entire time. I don't know. I don't know if you're on my level. Well, I well, I've been doing hummingbirds. I don't know. Maybe maybe we should mentally warm up. Just like I don't know. Just saying some movies back and forth. Yeah, uh, pick fifteen movies from the decade at random. Man, 15 movies from the decade. The last decade, right? Or the one we're in right now? That's soon to be the last decade. The one that we're exiting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I guess if we're gonna open up the bid, I'm gonna I'm gonna open up by uh seeing you and raising you inside out from 2015. Well, I guess I could start with um weekend from 2011. I I don't know that one. Interesting. I you know, you want if we're talking about great movies from the decade, I I also have to bring up Prisoners from 2013. Just a good movie in general. I mean, I'm going to pick one that's a little bit more recent, Long Day's Journey into Night. Uh, excellent use of 3D in that movie. Interesting. Well, I think if there's one sound that defines at least the 2010s, it was boom, and that's 2010's Inception. You know, I want to break it up a little bit. I want to, you know, shout out a documentary from uh, from last year. Really good. Uh, called Minding the Gap. Oh, I saw Minding the Gap. I watched that in a, in a library. That was really depressing. Yeah. Why don't those skater boys have love? Well, we're going to stay in 2010 and we're going to talk about the very dark and, and uh, very complicated movie Black Swan from 2010, which I quite enjoyed. We're going to go back in time a little bit to 2012 and talk about an animated movie uh, called It's Such a Beautiful Day. I've never heard of that one either. You have a couple on here that I've never heard of. That's a good movie. It's it's a fucking it's bummer, 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 bummer. Fair, fair enough. Well, we're gonna move on to a movie that I'm sure both of us love, and no one has a strong, hard hatred towards Moonrise Kingdom. The goddamn Moonrise Kingdom. Goddamn Wes Anderson. <laughs> like you've been drinking at a bar with him or near him the entire time, and you're just. <laughs> It's like, I'm going to fight Wes Anderson. It's like, don't do it. He's got six bodyguards. Like, I'm going to get him. Goddamn symmetrical fucking filmmaker. <laughs> I want to shout okay. out a movie, uh, a debut movie, uh, Greta Gerwig, 2017, mm-hmm. Lady Bird. Well, oh, I do love Lady Bird. You know what? We're going to stay in 2017, though, and we're going to talk about a uh, little heist movie called Logan Lucky, which is the start of what I like to call the Daniel Craig Southern accent era. We're going to go back and talk to the movie that uh, is sort of a semi-sequel, uh, or Lady Bird is a semi-prequel of, uh, called Francis Ha. I've talked about that movie, though. Ooh, good old Francis Ha. Wait, we haven't talked about Lady Bird? Yeah, we did. Yeah, talked we about talked about Lady Bird? We did? Yeah, and Francis Ha. Wow, we've really, we... we've really done well. We've done well by... No, we oh, did. Yeah. We, yeah, we did. We, we paired did. it with... Um... Right. Yeah. Well, I can't remember what we paired it with. <laughs> Edit that out. Damn. I just remember. I just remember you. I just remember asking like, "Hey Ben, what?" Or I was like, "Hey Tyler, what should the clip be?" And you're like, "How about the where she just jumps out of the car?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's see if they all understand that." <laughs> Ugh. I'll tell you though. You know what drives me wild? The movie Drive from 2011. <laughs> you know what drives me wild? New York City. Murray Grant, 2011. <laughs> God damn it. You know, Tyler, I consider you a pretty okay guy. I'm an okay guy, but we are not the nice guys from 2016. I really like the nice guys. I should revisit the nice it's a, guys. It's a great movie. It's all a little, little buddy comedy. Ugh. No spoilers, no spoilers, no spoilers. The Irishman, 2019. You lucky bastard. 
once again, he's back. The symmetrical filmmaker himself. Isle of Dogs from 2018 from Wes Anderson. Fucking goddamn Wes Anderson. Come on, it's like he's out of bar. bullshit. Ugh. One of these days we're just gonna break down why you don't like Wes Anderson. We can watch a couple Wes Anderson films. And we're gonna call it cinematic a well of hatred. It's not even a well of hatred. It's a well of like dislike. What if a well, a well of mutual acrimony. Got what have you got next? Uh, I'm gonna start a string of 2018 movies. 2018 probably being one of the best years of the decade. IMO uh, of movies, and I want to talk about a small indie movie called Leave No Trace. We're gonna go back one year, and we're gonna talk about a movie that, and once you hear this, it's gonna blow your mind. Made me fucking cry twice within the span of like five minutes. 2017's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Yeah, I know, I know. Send your letters to Ben. Great, I know. It's not a movie I should cry at, but goddamn it, it got me right there. That when that fucking fathers and sons song plays, oh, just a mess. Young faced Kurt Russell, like the CGI face Kurt Russell, is one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever seen in a movie. It's not quite. It's not quite where like the Irishman is. It's two years away from what I understand. So really, yeah, that uncanny valley thing. But goddamn, dude, we'll talk about it. There's a spot in Gemini Man where it's really uh, bad, where he looks like a fucking PlayStation Two character. But for the most part, the movie looks fine. I don't know what it is in that movie. It's just I was just like, that is a Lego man. For me, like it just like the minute the minute at the end where like Yondu says he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy, boy, and he just dies. You're just like no, but it, but I'm not gonna touch on that here. <laughs> well, this, uh, what, is, this what have you this got added from 2018? From 2018, the writer, uh, which is a very oh. sad movie. Everyone should watch. Is that is that about the horses? Yeah, that that's those these next three movies would all be in contention for best of the best of the decade if we didn't do it via like didn't do a yearly list of like the best movies of the year. Hmm. The writer Fair for enough. sure would be a lock. It's it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I'll be danged. Now it makes me want to know what you picked from 2018 that was so much better than it. I think I remember. For me, next, it's a guy who I think has had one of the better decades in filmmaking. Yorgos Lantimos is The Lobster. I I loved The Lobster. I think seeing that in the movie theater was like both like a unusual experience because it was a movie that I'd heard about because the production company that was putting out dropped it and then A24 picked it up and then made tons of money off of it. That's uh, why I saw it. Because I heard about that. Uh, that's that's having faith in an artist. Yeah, huh. that's yeah. I gotta I gotta tell you, there has never been outside of a movie that will be on my list a more divided group of audience members walking out of a movie than The Lobster. People came out and some people were like, "That was really really well done." Other people came out and said, "That is pure pornography." Other people came out and demanded their money back, and I told them no because you'd been sitting there for the entire film, and we don't give refunds to something you've already completed. They were not happy. They were not happy. <laughs> Especially with that ending. The ending makes it all come together. Um, my last movie from 2008, uh, a defining uh, movie from an artist that was pretty much uh, showed up and was uh, crowned in this decade, um, If Bill Street Could Talk. Yeah, I, I saw that in an empty theater with Brielle, and I, I don't know what to make of that movie. I've not gone back since. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. Talking about talking about a movie made you cry, made me cry. I'm going to say this: while I don't agree with the statement of masterpiece, film is subjective, and if you think that, I'm glad you got to see a masterpiece on a big screen like that. For me, not as much, but yeah. You want to talk about another really long movie though? Uh, the Wolf of Wall Street from 2013. I'm glad you brought up The Wolf of Wall Street. That's probably a movie that would be in mine 
as well. Some uh, would argue it might be Martin Scorsese's second best movie of the decade. Or third best movie of the decade. Or what, what the hell? Fourth best movie of the decade. Depends on how much you like uh, Hugo or Shutter Island. Yeah, that one or, Shutter yeah. Island guy out there. There are people who God love. God damn it! Shutter I haven't Island. seen it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually enjoy Shutter Island for what it is. It's a really just big mystery movie. Mine oh. is a experiment in long form movie filming, not necessarily long form uh, cinema itself but experiment in uh, what happens when you follow actors as they age. And that is Richard Linklater's Boyhood. One of two good Richard Linklater movies this decade. Yes, yes, very solid Boyhood. Good overall. Next up for me, 2015 Sicario. If you want to talk about a couple of amazing performances that got spun off into just a very okay sequel, but the first one just stands head and shoulders above everything when it comes to like a movie about the drug war that we face in a modern age. Man, Sicario is it. Dennis Villeneuve. Good filmmaker as well. Mm. I'm sorry? Mm. Also, isn't it uh, Denis Villeneuve? Or Villeneuve? Oh, it's, it's French, oh, right? I don't know. I don't know. I've heard oh, different ways I, I can't politically... I'm gonna call him. I'm gonna call him Den. How about that? I'm gonna call him Den. Denny V. Yeah, Den. <laughs> I feel like where would we be without talking about a Paul Thomas Anderson movie? Because boy, what a decade for that guy! And I think 2017's Phantom Thread is maybe one that we should that all remember. And you know, if we're gonna talk about a potential current working Mount Rushmore of filmmakers, Paul Thomas Anderson, I think would be in that conversation. Uh, you cannot have that conversation without talking about one Mr. David Fincher in his 2011 film, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Talking about the penultimate film uh, from very famous and well-respected Iranian auteur, uh, of course, as uh, Like Someone in Love uh, from 2012. I don't know that one either. Well, I just want to say that we are definitely going to be talking about this director a couple more times. I just wanted to make sure that before this pod, I understand that what, what is the name of our podcast? Two white guys talking film. I just wanted to point out that two white guys talking film is not a racist podcast. We were always going to talk about 12 years a slave from 2013. So here it is. We're talking about it now. It's not getting kicked off. Steve McQueen is a very good filmmaker. Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen might be one of the best filmmakers of uh, his I'd... his decade. Yeah, I I might agree with you. Speaking of another great yeah. black filmmaker, Ryan Coogler, and his second film of this decade from 2015, Creed. Oh, we did it! That's it. And you can watch the first right. Those are Creed. those are our top 15 of the decade. Yeah, yeah. we did it. Everybody those go home. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Shutter the theater. Yeah, that's it. Oh, wait, no, those were only our honorable mentions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to TWGTF, Two White Guys Talking Films, Best of the Decade, 10 to 1, in two parts. Hit the music.
Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from number 10 to number 6. It's, it's going to be a long one, folks. I, I didn't have time to come up with something. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I am, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Had a lot of electrolytes. I took a nap, prepared. I got fluids, I, I got waters. I, I slightly fell asleep today, too. I was like, oh, I was up till 3 a.m. watching movies. That Tyler I, asked me to watch as a refresher for his best of the decade. Well, I mean, I watched all your movies earlier this week. Boy. Oh, no, I, have... I, know, oh, I know you did. No, no, it was a joy. Like, it was oh, no, a joy it wasn't watching like a, a couple thing. of things that I'd already seen. It wasn't a bad thing. I need a, I need oh. a 90 minute. I need a 90 minute. What you're saying is we've both seen a lot of movies. We've run the gamut. Guys, once again, not unlike our best of the horror decade, we are going to be looking at movies from this decade and we have picked one from each year that does include 2019 now keep in mind there is stuff from 2019 that some of us haven't seen like marriage story or for some of us who don't have a decent theater chain in their town the irishman yeah that's right i haven't seen it i have to wait till thanksgiving it's what i'm gonna be thankful for it's what i'm gonna be thankful for i'm letting everyone know that i've seen the irishman and it's very good and if you haven't they seen know it, you've seen it, it. They, hurt, they, hurt, they hurt yeah you should and i'd like to see marriage story too while we're at it I would also like to see Marriage Story. Tired of podcasts playing. being released about things that I, yeah. I, it's not playing near me, so I'm we, fucking pissed. But we can't get down on ourselves about things we haven't seen. Both of us aren't professional film critics who have stuff sent to us. Oh, like, if only. You know, in little little envelopes that say, I, I know someone who does. I bet you she has a copy of Marriage Story right now, and it's driving me insane. Yeah, it releases soon. It's going to be on Netflix in, like, December 20th. I'm, I'm totally okay to wait. By the way, Netflix oh, being really 20th? smart about how they're right. Yeah, it's, it's a ways. If they were smart about the Irishman, they would. What they would do is they'd give it a wide, wide release, make the fifty million that they were gonna make, and then put it on their service. Because that way oh, you no, make no, some no. of the money back. <laughs> oh, they're they're releasing it on the twenty seventh. They're actually being really smart and releasing it like Thanksgiving weekend. That's actually incredibly no. intelligent. No, I think it's smart that they're releasing it then when everybody's gonna watch it with their dad. Like that makes sense. Oh I'm yeah, saying, I mean, put literally, it in... literally, the thing we're doing after Thanksgiving is watching the Irishman. If you put it in wide release. You could probably make oh, back yeah. like $40 million in a $150 million investment, which of they've, as of now, made back $2.4 million. I'm just yeah. saying, this yeah, doesn't make movie, sense from a business a... stance. Well, it's... not a lot of things Netflix does make sense from a business standpoint. Uh, that's probably why they won't be around for much longer. You're oh, here for what a glorious you're time. first, folks. <laughs> And hey, look, I can't wait until Netflix gets absorbed by Disney Plus because you know it's going to happen. I actually. Let's not talk about this. Did, did you get Disney Plus? No, I have not. I will never get Disney oh, Plus. Okay. I'm just what I'm saying is, is I think in 10 years we're going to see an actual fucking court case where they're going to be like, break this monopoly up. Oh, fair enough. But we're not here to talk about monopolies or court cases. Well, some movies have court cases in them. And. We are here to talk about our top 10 movies. So, Tyler, I'm going to ask you once again, as I did with the horror, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? With horror, I went first, or I went second, so I think it's only fair if I go first. Okay, fair enough. Why don't you take us into your number 10? From 2015, possibly not even the best Terrence Malick movie of this decade. Not even, like, the third best Terrence Malick movie of this decade, if, if The Hidden Life is as good as people are saying it is. But from 2015, starring Christian Bale and a lot of other people, Knight of Cups. All those years, 
the life of someone I didn't even know. Let me tell you about you. I want to make you rich. You see the palm trees? They tell you anything's possible. No one cares about reality anymore. <laughs> Different these days. What's going on with you? I can't remember a man I wanted to be. Just don't threaten me with leaving, okay? Just do what you want to do. You don't want love. You want a love experience. They are like flavors. Sometimes you want raspberry, then after a while you want some strawberry. You have love in you. I know it. Blind. Suppose it isn't there for me. I was afraid when I was young. Afraid of life. I'm pays for it. Once the soul was perfect and had wings and could soar into heaven. You gave me peace. Joy. Love. So, Tyler, we just heard the trailer for Knight of Cups because, let's be honest, it's kind of hard to cut a scene from Knight of Cups because no one's really talking throughout most of it. But my question to you is this. Do you have a story about the first time you saw the trailer for Knight of Cups? I do, actually. The trailer opened in front of The Hateful Eight. I was at Riverside. I was with a group of people where I only knew my best friend. And it was a bunch of his, like, his, like fraternity friends, I guess. What are they? Fraternity mates? Brothers. Uh, brothers. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm struggling so hard. Thank you for helping me. We were all there to see The Hateful Eight, which is a good movie. Mm-hmm. And the trailer for Knight of Cups comes on and everybody kind of is like, oh, what's this? This looks this looks different. And then it pops up and it says, from visionary director Terrence Malick. And I hear someone behind him, someone from behind me just go, ugh. <laughs> and I could not stop <laughs> laughing for the entirety of the rest of the trailer. <laughs> And that person, ladies and gentlemen, was me. Uh, no, <laughs> you imagine it's, that was our that was our first meet cute. We didn't even know it. Um, no, but Knight of Cups. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to treat this kind of similar to the way we did the horror one. However, we're going to be covering the who, what, when, where, and why because those are the most important questions we ask. So, Tyler, who is the crew that made this movie? Southern director, I think he's southern, and Terrence Malick, who we have, and we've never talked about him. On- podcast right have we no you never talked about terrence Malley. no we talked about his very first movie uh badlands uh, on our first episode so it's almost very appropriate first, very first episode because it was first movies he's actually from illinois not the south uh anyway he has a very interesting decade because he went from being someone who made two of like maybe the best 70s movies 
to a guy who didn't make another mm-hmm. movie for like 20 years. <laughs> Why did he take so long off? So it actually has something to do with the movie, another movie that we c- could from this decade that I don't want to bring up because it might be a little bit of a spoiler. Okay. But okay. Fair enough. Workshopping something that was a lot like it called Q. He can never get the money off the ground. He could never really, never really found a way to uh, to, to get it going, and so he okay. moved after years of just like starts and stops, starts and stops. He moved to France and just basically was like a script doctor and like was like a not a producer, but like a person who would like counsel filmmakers and stuff like that on certain things. And eventually he came back in the 90s with an adaptation of so, the James Jones. So he, he had a midlife crisis and, like, and like essentially did it, did, started doing like... But he had like a midlife crisis, but started applying it to still like, like using his like powers for good by helping other people with their stuff. Like, by, like, kind of counsel. Kind of, like, yeah. What, a, what an interesting... I didn't know that. And, yeah, guys, and guys, to be fair, Tyler, Tyler's being such a sweetheart right now. He doesn't want to spoil the fact that I will have To the Wonder on my uh, Best of the Decade <laughs> list. <laughs> you make jokes, but there are people... Tyler's laughing, that's not true. To the Wonder. I haven't seen all of it. I got ten minutes in, and I just <laughs> fell the fuck asleep. And I was like, nope, guess this isn't happening right now. We'll try again in a couple of years. Yeah, guys, we're actually going to talk about oh. like, Wage of Time in full. I'll tell you what, though, dude. Had the New World come out in this decade, would have been on my list. Yeah, which is by the first time the way Christian Bale works with Terrence Malick, he would get called back to be the star of Knight of Cups. What the fuck is Knight of Cups about, Tyler? Knight of Cups is about a man, uh, like a Hollywood producer, big shot Hollywood producer, has lost his way. He is having like a fucking midlife, cri- midlife crisis, essentially. And it essentially uh-huh. follows him through his like lowest points, kind of shows this like distant man who is unable to connect to the women around him to like fellow people it's like weirdly the like terrence malick's style is kind of used for this like isolating effects like he really uses it for this like it's hard because like malick is such like a one type of filmmaker right he makes a terrence malick movie no one else makes a terrence malick movie other than terrence malick you you are not wrong he does breathe that rare now i want to ask you this I thought about something while I was watching this movie, and this you just brought it up with what you said about Malik's career to when he took time off to where he is now. Do you think this is a movie about him? Because what you just said about going through the crisis, this sounds like what Terrence Malick was going through. I mean, a little bit. Rick, uh, who Christian, Bale, Christian Bale's character, I don't think, is, is significantly more horny than I think Malick has ever admitted I, to be. What did, I, what did I write to you? What did he, I write to you? Uh, ben sent me a text uh, through, like halfway through Night of Cups, uh, Night of Cups, Malik's horniest movie? Question mark. That's, that's exactly what it said. Yeah, this guy fucks a lot. It's also, weird. I want to say this. Does Christian Bale speak at all in this movie to anyone? Because I feel like he never talks actually to anyone. It's all monologue. Like he over monologues monologue. and then people talk to him. And I think that's like that's, I think that's so actually kind weird. of important. I think I think that's yeah, showing what is like that about isolation. So this movie has so many people in it. Oh Image God does is it. in it, but mostly it's like Kate Blanchett, <laughs> Kate Blanchett, Natalie Portman, Brian Dennehy, Antonio Banderas. So he talks to all these people. By the way, one is his ex-wife, Kate Blanchett. Fucking amazing for her four minutes. She is incredible for like the five minutes that she's in this movie. Such an amazing, like, yeah, real like, performance for such a small amount of time. 
Yeah, no, it is. I mean, Natalie Portman, very interesting. Um, there's like an, a girl who's like African-American who I don't even know and is really solid for her like couple seconds. Like Terrence Malick weirdly can get a performance out of anyone, I think. I think it's because of like how his style works, which is like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like people who want to disparage it call it a perfume commercial style. Which makes sense, because it's a lot of, like, beautiful mm-hmm. images that don't mean anything. But they do when used by Terrence Malick. Like, the images, like, actually do help convey a lot of the story. I think what works so well about this one is you get a man becoming more and more and more and more uh, isolated. And more and more, like, away from life. And eventually it, like, kind of ends with, like, him, with, like, this innocent person, like, helping him, like, get back back on track essentially you know what this kind of reminds me of you know what this would actually pair really well with and you may have said this somewhere yeah oh yeah definitely yeah this would pair really well with somewhere yeah because it's that in the hollywood vein um i'm actually a little surprised i mean i can understand why this didn't do well hollywood doesn't like movies about hollywood not looking good the scene i want to talk about specifically and i'd like you to pick a scene as well is the scene where they're taking photographs of those women models Mm. it's really kind of upsetting it does so well to portray like the voyeurist nature of Hollywood, um, and make it yeah. like really, really not great. <laughs> but the like one of the women is like super strong, and I don't know. You just it feels wrong. Like not not two women holding each other is wrong. Just like the way it's being like portrayed by these people taking the photos, and just like they're all being well, like yelled at and stuff. It's like taking this like lovely image and then like showing you the real out reality of like creating it which is like a lot of like yelling at them physically moving their bodies without like their permission just like moving it to be like no do this and just like just things that are like invasive that would be like mad invasive if you know it wasn't yeah like, art quote unquote i think the thing that i think about the most is like the earthquake and him like realizing like he could have died and then kind of also simultaneously realizing, like, nothing would have changed had he died. I think that's, like, an actually, like, incredible, incredible moment. No, I don't disagree with you. It's, it is kind of like an incredible moment. All right, so you know what? We've gone through the who, we've gone through the what. We've gone through the win, or we've got, yeah, we've gone through the what. That's the plot. Knight of Cups is a movie about a man searching. I think for, honestly... I hate to use the Seinfeld line. He goes, he's trying to buy back a loaf of his soul. He's a man going through a crisis and it's just shot in the most beautifully understated way with just some really interesting like backstory stuff going on. When and where did you first see this? I saw it on my laptop in the library at UNR. <laughs> fair, uh, fair enough. I watched, I watched it comfortably in my, in my new bed. It was, it was quite pleasant. You cannot watch this movie super high. I started no. to like... I was like, I can't focus on this at all. You've become the movie. You're like, man, Christian Bell, get your shit together. (laughs) You're like Kate Blanchett in the scene. (laughs) Oh my God, we we shouldn't have had children. (laughs) We should have had them. Like, you're just like, oh God, you're so sad, Kate Blanchett. Oh, I feel so bad for you. Natalie Portman's like, I I didn't do it because I wanted to. You're like, oh God, stop being so quiet. Will someone talk at a normal volume? Come on, Brian Denny, you're a big loud guy. You're like, no, Brian Denny, not you too. What's Wes Bentley doing here? He seems like, like a. I think I think he likes him because of his eyebrows. What? What's Justin Clark and, and, and is that Dane DeHaan? Oh yeah, that's right. That weird that, that that giant headed guy Jason Clark is there. I think there's a child growing in his head. That's kind of okay. So you saw it. You saw it on your laptop. 
And now I'm gonna ask you a favor. Can you go to your timer? And the reason I'm asking you to do this is because, what do you call it? Since this is your movie on your decade, the last question of course is why? And the why is, why do you like it? And also in, in its own way, why should it be on the end of the decade list for you? It can be either or, why you like it or why it should be on the end of the decade or both. So three minutes and you should have the last word since this is your movie. So the next three minutes are yours to kind of give us the sell, the whatever, why it should be on the decade. Okay. I'll, I'll start you off. I'll have mine so you don't have to worry about looking at it. I'm going to count you down from three to one and on one I'm going to hit it. So tell me when you're ready. Yep. All right. Three, two, one. An adaptation and sort of loose adaptation of DreamWorks that Malik was sort of like fascinated over. The Pilgrim's Process by John Bunyan. It's Twin Peaks by Mark Frost and David Lynch. And something called The Hymn of Pearl. Um, from the Acts of Thomas, he kind of uses these uh, ideas and weaves them into his dreamiest and maybe some for some people sleepiest work. It's very understated. It's very um, slight. It's just about a man who's like kind of lost in the world, kind of adrift in a sea, who ends up, who is constantly again and again putting himself into the lives of other people and like and like pushing on his like his his like ex-wife or these people that he's sleeping with and is trying to get out of the cycle that he has set for himself of sleeping with someone putting everything into them and then like being burned or like burning out and like it it's the story of someone who spent so much time in excess that they can no longer understand themselves and see themselves in their in, in in their own skin and i think from malik a director who at a lot of times is going for very lofty ideas to see him try and take on something so seemingly small and tackle it over the course of the two-hour runtime is very interesting and i think it's also interesting to see malik someone who doesn't really tackle like hollywood stuff like turn inward on the thing that he's kind of like grown up in because people forget Malik started making movies when he was like 25 ish. Like he was really young. He started working in the movies like even earlier than that. So it's very interesting to see him kind of address these things. And I also think of the movies of this decade that Malik has made, it is probably the last, not the last. It's probably the one that people haven't seen as much, which will be a running theme throughout some of my list. Not all of it, but some of my list, for sure. That I will yield what time I have left after this, because I do not like hearing the beeps. And, yeah. Yeah. That felt good. Well, that takes us out of his number 10, ladies and gentlemen, and into my number 10. I associate movies with a lot, ladies and gentlemen. I will be very honest with you. And to talk about this first one is to talk about a moment where you just feel good about if you're talking about a club that I have in terms of like directors, there are certain directors who like, you just like, you want to protect, you like them, you follow, you follow their work for a long time. And number 10 features a director who is that guy, Guillermo del Toro. When that dude walked up there and got his best director Oscar, I was fucking legitimately touched for that dude. That dude seems so happy that what he does and he gets to make monster movies. And finally someone said, let's give a monster movie best picture and let's give a monster movie best director. And let's make this little movie just like kind of recapture what we love about Hollywood. But from the perspective of a guy who said, what if your leading man was a fish? And what if the woman who he was in love with was deaf? And the two of them liked each other because they were different. This is The Shape of Water.
If I told you about her, what would I say? That they lived happily ever after? I believe they did. That they were in love? That they remained in love? I'm sure that's true. But when I think of her, of Eliza, the only thing that comes to mind is a poem whispered by someone in love hundreds of years ago, unable to perceive the shape of you. I find you all around me. Your presence fills my eyes with your love. It humbles my heart, for you are everywhere. So who's the crew? I think you already addressed some of this, uh, some of these people. Um, I addressed a little bit. Guillermo, uh, I addressed Guillermo right. del Toro. Um, yeah, the woman is Sally Hawkins. She has a friend who plays Octavia Spencer. Michael Shannon plays the bad guy. Richard Jenkins plays her next door neighbor, uh, Giles. By the way, up for supporting actor that year really should have won. I feel like. Who um, here? Wait, did he? Sorry, he might. I don't think he good. Did. Best Supporting? I think Jenkins actually won Best Supporting. No, he was an Oscar nominee. I'll look it up in one, so 2007. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I just saw who did, and it's awful. Who is it? It's Rockwell. It's for his worst performance in a decade. <laughs> oh, God, the... um. Oh, four billboards or whatever? Yeah, for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. That is one of oh. the worst, one of his worst performances oh. of the decade. It's it's really... not a great movie. It's not a great movie. He's doing his best. I'm, a... I'm not going to attack Sam Rockwell. Ugh. Yeah, I I know, I know, but we got to get, yeah, get yeah, back yeah, on yeah. it. So yeah, yeah. yeah, Sally Sally Hawkins, Sally Hawkins, and Doug Jones are the two people who are the main people, and she plays the woman who is deaf, and he plays this creature that she works at this lab, and this lab is doing tests on something, and the lab you find out is like doing tests on this fishman creature that they have found, and she kind of strikes up a, a weird friendship with it and it then becomes like that of an actual relationship and it's because no one she's deaf and it's at a time by the way this movie is not about a man and a fish or a fish and a woman having sex this movie is about the people who feel like outsiders who connect over it and it's it's this beautiful movie where at the end of the day the monster gets the girl because the girl wants the monster ben you do say this movie is yes. not about a, a fish man and a woman having sex although I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying that's the centralized idea it's not the centralized I'll, idea but yes but I think I, I think I know what you're about to say and yes and yes I will say it ladies and gentlemen that fish man takes her to pound town um I don't know how better to put it because that's just what happens it's shot through one of the most beautiful like scenes you could see but there's totally fucking going on and I'll say this too, Doug Jones, interesting looking fellow, would never be a leading man. He fucking makes this guy a leading man. I think there should have been a cause to have the fish man be up for best actor. That year, it is Gary Oldman, Darkest Hour, That's Your Winner, Timothy Chalamet, Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Day-Lewis, Phantom Thread, Daniel Kaluuya, Get Out, and Denzel Washington for a super underrated movie. Roman J. Israel Esquire, one of my favorites of that year. Roman, Roman J. Israel Esquire. Yeah, I was just okay on that. You know, I mean, shit, you throw out Gary Oldman, but you can't because, well, they should have given it to Gary Oldman years ago. I mean, I would throw out Gary Oldman. Yeah, you can't O'Toole him. Bad performance. 
it's it's not it's it's not a good movie, but it's it's what it, he he played the game. He shook the hands like that's what it was. Ah, uh, fuck. I, I'd say throw out Denzel, but I know you're not going to agree with that, and I know you're not going to throw out Timothy Chalamet. And uh, I uh, and you I could throw out Timothy Chalamet for color oh, really? name. I wouldn't give a fuck. Oh, oh good. Oh, good. <laughs> Fucking throw out Timothy Chalamet. Doug Jones, you're in. And I'm not going to argue. Back to the minor leagues, like Chalamet. Movie. What? Uh, calling oh, me by your name? Yeah, I don't like calling by your name. I've never seen it. I, I, I don't think know. you should. Um, I think it's an important movie for the decade, but I don't think doesn't it's very jerk good. off on a peach on a peach or something. Doesn't he do that? That's like, moonlight. doesn't he jerk off, dude? Come on, that's what. That's moonlight, dude. That's what? Come on. Moonlight. Is it really? Yeah, they jerk off on a beach. He jerks them off on the beach. Give him a hand job on the beach. Oh no, no, a peach. Oh no, 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 no. He jerks off into a peach, and then Timothy Chalamet threatened. Oh no, yeah. and then uh, uh, Army Hammer threatens to eat said peach. In the book, he eats the peach. Oh. In the Ew, movie, he doesn't gross. Ew. Gross. Ew. Ugh. Yuck. I mean, like, if you're into a guy, that's fine and all, but ew. Ew. Who would do that willingly? Ew. So gay. Hi. Okay. This, is, this, this is an episode 69. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking more and more about your proposal to do, like, two just, like, really graphic movies. Because I watched a graphic <laughs> movie the other night, and I was like, I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll take him up on it. We'll see who can outcreep who on episode sixty-nine. <laughs> It'll be our horror episode. Um, yeah, and then and then seventy. It's just a double double feature of. Uh, oh, I can't even say it because fuck, damn it, never mind. Can I say it to you? Don't worry. We'll, we'll, I yeah, say, I don't know I this actually. Seventy. The double feature is just <laughs> twice. <laughs> Why seventy? Because it's the one right after. It's just us being sad about watching two porn films. Oh, I get it. So we just we just do we just do twice. We just talk yeah. about it for two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Okay, well that's gonna happen in a couple. It's of minutes. though. That's that's the thing. So yeah, I mean, I would kick him out, and then I guess we've kind of gone through what it's about. Michael Shannon is an amazing dick, by the way. A the when he's century performance. A when he's fucking his wife. B when he's also just like peeing without using his hands. <laughs> Who hasn't oh, been there? You know what oh, I mean? and oh and, and C, not me. Um and C, uh, what do you call it? Um, talking to his boss on the phone and saying, oh, it's all right, sir. I got my I got my trigger, my pussy, and my and my uh my snapping finger still. Like, just it's such a funny line. I'm gonna throw it in there. I don't think I did it right. Ugh. My trigger. Yeah. Finger, Total my heel. Finger and my snapping finger. I hate that so fucking much. I know he's such a he's such a guy. He's a, By the way, Richard Jenkins. Oh, so sweet. Such a good performance. Like really, really should have won. Should have been his time. I feel like he did win though. Didn't we learn that he won for a different movie? Or was he nominated for no that station agent movie? He was, was nominated agent? for the visitor. The visitor. It's directed Jesus by Christ. the station agent. <laughs> No, you're not wrong. It's directed by a guy who's um, not going to be on this list, by the way. Oh, oh it's, it's coming. It's coming. There's a wind coming. <laughs> oh, there's a wind coming. I can't you wait. Know, you know who should have um, been nominated? Um, what's that? Someone I want to point who's out. That? Someone who should have been nominated. Maybe not for this movie, but for another movie. Michael Stolberg. Michael Stolberg. Why do I know that name? Uh, he is the um, he's the main guy in. Uh, oh, he's in, uh, wonderful. A serious he's wonderful man. in this, but he is amazing in a serious man, which is the movie I was trying to think of. He was in Calling by Your Name, and he is uh, one of the greatest performances in that movie. Um, he is the only like absolutely transcendent performance, in my opinion. 
in Call Me By Your Name. Interesting. Mm-hmm. He was he, plays, up, he was up for that, I believe. He was. He should have won. Uh, he plays Timothy Chalamet's dad, and he essentially like has like the whole point of the movie. At one point, is like him giving like this monologue to Timothy Chalamet, and it absolutely wrecks you. Does he? Does he turn to Timothy Chalamet and place one hand across his cheek and go? He goes, "So, so, boy, call me by your name," and then it just goes to black. Tell me, tell me, that's the end of the movie because if it's not, I don't think I can watch it now. I've come up with no. a much better ending. No, the ending is uh, is a lot sadder than that. But they're doing a sequel. Damn it. Okay, well, doing shoot. a sequel. That's enough they- talking about calling by a goddamn name. <laughs> call, call me by your name too <laughs> call me by your name too collect call come on make that uh, call me by your name too 1-800 call me by your name phone card all right we've got we've lost the plot we have okay so what was, we've what was the when and where did you see this? oh when did i see when did i see this i think i saw this opening weekend in a theater um, it was fucking packed oh yeah people were really fucking excited and i think people walked out really happy it's like one of the three times I've seen a theater at the Riverside be like completely fucking at capacity. Well, one of four yeah. times I've seen it be at capacity. One was it, oh. <laughs> which was like insane. Yeah, that's, that's um, such a weird one. The other one was Spotlight. <laughs> it was like completely full of yep, old people. That, that one was really full for us too. Yeah, that one was um, really full. Oh, you're you're. It's coming, Spotlight. Uh, sh- it's coming. The, the shape coming of water. I just uh, want you to know that. Yeah, and the, the shape, shape of water was the other one, and the last, the, the other one that like I think it kind of it didn't it surprised me at the time. It doesn't surprise me now. Was Bohemian Rhapsody, and I was like, "What the fuck?" I, I know, I know. I want to hear a really funny. You want to hear a really funny yeah. one? Yeah, no, yeah. Con- no country for old men in like theater two was completely sold out. My parents were in there with me, and we got up to leave. And the couple in front of us after the movie, and it's the, just that it goes to black with that dark ticking. Mm-hmm. And um, the couple in front of us gets up and the guy goes, what do you think? And she goes, I don't know. Maybe there will be a sequel. And like, I, I nearly lost my shit. Like, I was so just like, what the fuck are you people talking about? Like, get out. You're not in the right movie, clearly. But it was maybe one of the low-key funniest things I've ever heard. To be fair, I don't think people were like ready for some for the Coens being like, we're gonna just like reinvent the noir completely from the ground up, just just reinvent everything, yeah. throw yeah. everything out. You know what? Yeah. Um. I guess that leads us to why. Three, two, one, go. The Shape of Water is an absolute just triumph as a movie. I said it before, and the thing, it's a movie about two people finding each other who are different, and through their differences. The two of them love each other in spite of them. It's it's an absolute classic love story. It just happens to be about a monster. And this is a real example of a guy who finally got what he deserved. Guillermo del Toro is an amazing filmmaker. He has made Pan's Labyrinth. He has made Hellboy. He has made every genre of movie. He just happens to do them with these little tints to them. And that's that's what a good filmmaker does. They do them through their perspective. He's a dreamer. And he's taken his love of that stuff and made it into stuff that we still need to see in filmmaking these days. Practical effects. Practical effects are a big thing. And I don't want to see them go away. They're getting swept away by CGI. And it's definitely something that needs to stick around. And not only that, good, honest storytelling that focuses on characters that can be sci-fi-ish. But at the same time, you develop them as characters. That's what he does really well. I, the two characters of Sally Hawkins and Doug Jones are so well flushed out. Richard Jenkins' character has an amazing little arc. There's no reason to give that character the arc he does, but it's really well done. And this comes from a guy who understands how to make film. I'm going to yield my time there. That is The Shape of Water from 2017. Best Picture winner, Best Director winner. Really well done. Uh, Nominated for a supporting and a lead in actress and acting. You guys really should watch it. It's absolutely phenomenal. 
Uh, so we are on to your number nine. Number nine. One of the aforementioned two good Richard Linklater movies of the decade. I'm going to pull up his his filmography from this decade to make sure I'm not shooting myself in the foot um, by forgetting some forgotten great work. You're not. No, I'm safe in saying that this is probably... He's made two great movies uh, in this decade. This being probably my my the one that I like more made the, the came out the year before the aforementioned Boyhood from 2013, the third movie in his before trilogy, Before Midnight. I need your credit card. Oh, I think the room is paid for. Yeah. Yes, it is. But uh, the credit card is for Japan the home for all possible outcomes. Incidentals. Right, of course. Mr. Wallace. Yeah. I am such a fan of these two books. My husband gave me your book on our first date, and then when your second book came out, we read it out loud together. Oh, uh, Would you please hand them to yeah, me? Of course, of course. I love the artwork in these Greek editions. Mm. It's really nice. Mm. Uh, what do you need? Make it to Sofia and Pavlos. Okay. How's the Greek translation? Well, it's called Afti di Fora, Kikin di Fora. But I'm not sure it's the correct one. Right, well, that's because you never read it in English, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's great. Could you send them too? Me? Yes. You're the real Madeline, right? Madeline? Not really. I mean, people assume it's me, but it's it's not me at all. I mean, he's got a big imagination. Would you be so kind? It would mean so much to my husband. I, I I can't sign a book I didn't write. I, okay. it doesn't She'd be it. happy to. Okay, Great, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to. Uh, yeah. okay. Thank you. Thank you. Great, thank you so much. Check it out. Wow, this is nice. Conditioning. Oh, I love it. Oh my god. Wow. Oh wow. That bathtub. My god. Hey, check this out. Stephanos and Ariadne got us a bottle of wine and a couple's massage. They're so nice. We have to get them a present before we leave. Oh no, we should remember to get something for the kids too. Yeah, no, for sure. We always start we start with the who. Uh who made this movie and who's in the crew? Okay. So essentially, the people who like really made this movie are Richard Linklater, and then it was co-written by the two stars, Ethan Hawke and Shelley Dipley, as were the other two movies in this, uh, I think other than the first one, in this trilogy, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset. Before Sunrise taking place in 1995, it shows these two characters as they first meet in the streets of Vienna. Before Sunset, uh, which came out in 2014, it takes place in the streets of Paris, and it follows Ethan Hawke, about 10 years after the meeting of Julie Dipley, he's become a famous writer. He wrote a book about the meeting. Um, he is sent on a publicity tour of Europe. And his final stop is in Paris. The two meet. They sit down. They have a day together. It ends with them being implied that they will start a new relationship. And then it picks up in 2013. They're about 10 years into the relationship, about nine years into the relationship. He has since divorced the wife he was married to at the beginning, before sunset. And it kind of shows this relationship that isn't necessarily on the rocks, but isn't as 
sturdy as one would have hoped. Um, the, it's it's a, it's almost shot in completely in real time of a couple just arguing and having a conversation, and it's just super long takes of them talking. And I actually think pairs very well with another movie that will happen uh, later on my list, and we'll talk about it in the next episode. Um, uh, remind me to bring that up when we get to it. But I think this movie is sort of... We'll talk about it because I'll have my spot at the end. Um, but yeah, it's it's directed by Richard Linklater, as the other two were. It's written by Ethan Hawke and Julie Dipley. They're playing the same characters that they played for two previous movies. Yeah, that's, that's and they wrote it with it. They wrote it with them too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was saying. No, you were you were doing good. I, I wanted to let you run on that, and you've given us the plot. It's about a married couple and just the. Kind of ongoing conversation they have over the course of like an hour and forty minutes. Yeah, it starts with them kind of bickering on the road to the giant Peloponnese house that they're staying at with some people, and then it kind of gets into like their actual drama as they walk to this like kind of romantic seaside hotel. Supposed to supposed to be romantic. I don't want to do the couple's massage. It sounds gross. You don't have to fucking do it. <laughs> When he and, loses it, he's so good. I guess, you know what? We're going to add a special addendum question here. Whose side are you on at the end of that fight? I don't think I'm on either side. I think the point is that like n- n- they're both kind of wrong. I yeah, fair enough. To, okay, fair enough. I tend to constantly side with the women because I think the men are almost always portrayed by the men who are making the movie as the guilty party, unless it's like, women are evil. But this one it's really kind of down the middle i don't really side with either of them because they both feel like they don't know how to communicate well with one another and i think it's one of those movies where like it's a real barometer of empathy to me they both are kind of wrong and kind of right at different points i think the thing that's really telling is in the first movie jesse says i don't want you to end up with someone who has like stunted your potential it's he doesn't say that exactly but that's kind of like what he's hinted at and then you get to the movie where they're married and like that's kind of what's happened to her and it's like it's devastating it really if you watch these movies i suggest you watch them in order like oh in yeah one night. no um because they really it's really Sunrise, kind of devastating sunset, to watch it. midnight yeah because you really see this just absolutely beautiful love story at the first one the second one is the girl who got away reconnection. And then the third one is kind of just this like tragedy of like, yeah, but in the real world, this shit doesn't work out. It doesn't always work out. Like, but people it might still like, fight is... people. They're not, they're not in love forever in a magical castle somewhere. Yeah. But the thing like, is, is, the, is I... Julie definitely puts it perfectly. She goes, it's, it's the happy ending. It's the, it's the fairy tale. It's not. But the life continues after. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. the thing is, is at the end of the movie, they're not getting a divorce. It doesn't end with them like messily, like running off to one another to like uh, separate parties or something. It ends with them like reconciling. And there's this possibility that they, you know, continue this and that they work on their mm-hmm. relationship and that they stay married. And you don't get any, I mean, unless Richard Linklater decides to put out a sequel in 2022, which I would be fine with. That would be really interesting. I would, I kind of want to see Before Morning. That's what it has to be, right? it could be called After Morning. So it's like a new trilogy called After. Yeah, where those two little weird goblin twins are now in relationships. Someone send me a million (laughs) dollars. I just pitched 
the, the, I, <laughs> I'm make this move. I just pitched a new trilogy for Richard Linklater. You, you know those two little goblin twins? He goes, you mean the two sweet little girls in the back sleeping? I go, yeah, those two. Make a movie about their lives dating. And he goes, oh my god. And you're like, uh, here's like, here's your million dollars. He goes, who are you? I'm like, I'm a guy who just robbed a bank. You might want to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I think that's the, all the plot yeah. you really need, right? Yeah, I'll say this. The start of that movie is the striking of a match with him and his son in the airport. And then the minute he gets in the car, the fuse is being lit to the fight at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, when and where did you first see this movie? So I bought the before Criterion Collection when they were like releasing it. I bought it like half off, I think. And it had been kind of like sitting around and we had already seen the first movie. So what we did is I think it might have been Valentine's Day. We were snowed in. It's like the first time we were living oh, in our apartment cute. together. We were snowed in. We wanted to go get food. We couldn't because they closed due to the snow. So I forget exactly what we did. But we went back home and we just watched all three movies in succession. Like we just started from the first one and just watched them all. Oh, that's um, cute. Aww. And so, yeah. It was kind of like a great actual little memory of uh, Valentine's Day. I can't remember if it was Valentine's Day or if it was like... No, because it had to be Valentine's. Or it could have been my birthday. I think it was Valentine's Day. It was Valentine's Day, for sure. Oh, okay. But yeah, we were like it's, snowed it's in. It's sweeter. You know what? You know what? You know what? Um, I'm going to give you a, a Hollywood producer, isn't it? It's sweeter if it's, your, if, it's a, if it's Valentine's Day. We're keeping it Valentine's Day. It's not, <laughs> not your birthday. There's, there's the editor's note. Well, what a wonderful little memory. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know what? That leads us now to ask the question. And you kind of said it, I think, a little bit there. So we'll set you at three minutes. Why do you like this movie? And you can start your answer in three, two, one. I like it because it is the perfect conclusion to a really good trilogy. I love the before the first two before movies. I absolutely love the first one. I think the first one is like a masterpiece of telling a story uh, economically. You could feasibly go back and follow them through the streets if you wanted to. I'm not that crazy about stuff like that. I think Before Sunset is equally as interesting and like kind of breaks a lot of the rules because that movie takes place literally in the time that you watch them. This movie is a, is a, doesn't stick adhere to that so closely, but I think that fight scene alone, where it's like 40 minutes almost, it is so intense. It feels like you were watching something that you're not meant to be watching. In many ways, it kind of relates back to Bergman's uh, scenes from marriage, where you're definitely like, you're definitely seeing something kind of voyeuristically, something that you're not supposed to be seeing. And it really, 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 really just like hits you in your soul when you're watching this. For me anyway, for other people might not have that. I definitely think it's one of the most honest films of a long-term relationship uh, of the decade, for sure. And with that, I think I will, I will end my time. Next up is my number nine. South Dakota is a place where I associate a lot of good memories, and most people don't know that about me. And... It's because it's where my grandmother lives. It's because it's where a lot of my family on my mom's side lives. I spent a lot of summers there on their farm and everything. Very cool way to grow up for a part of the year. But more importantly than that, it's also where one of the best people in the world who I love to hang out with is, and that is my cousin, Justin. Uh, Justin Ellison is a guy who I love to hang out with. We have been through everything cousins should be through from hanging out during like weddings of people in our family to getting pulled over doing 120 and a 45 by the cops at two in the morning. Yeah, pretty much everything. Justin is what you would call a good old boy. And he is from South Dakota. He owns cattle. He farms. He is a man of the fucking land. He's more of a man than I'll ever fucking be. And Justin and I would go to movies. We saw Harold and Kumar go to White Castle together. We saw several movies together. Yeah. 
And we would always just go in and it's at this little like fourplex in a mall in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And it was there in 2012. The two of us would sit down, we would strap in and we would not know what was going to hit us. But a movie that I can't even really explain other than this is fucking dread. Inhabitants of Pink Trees. This is Judge Dredd. Let him talk. In case you people have forgotten, this block operates under the same rules as the rest of the city. Mama is not the law. I am the law. Mama is a common criminal. Guilty of murder. Guilty of the manufacture and distribution of the narcotic known as slow-mo. And as of now, under sentence of death, any who obstruct me in carrying out my duty will be treated as an accessory to our crimes. You have been warned. And as for you, Mama... Judgment time. I got him. He's only 10 levels below a South Quad Balcony Terminal 5. Motherfucker. Yeah, so, Dread. What a movie. <laughs> who don't love them some Dread? People tell tell me wrong. in the studio right now who don't love them some... Yeah, exactly. People are along. Don't... Yeah. Oh, good. You like Dread. That makes me... No, I fucking love Dread. Dread's, Dread's the shit. Because let, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something there. Uh, let me tell you something there, Tyler. Tyler thinks he's the law. I am the law. This is an Irish movie. This is a, a not an Irish movie, an English movie, right? Like the crew is mostly English. I, I mean, that people are make correct. It. Uh, I'll, I'll say this: people say, "Oh, the best thing Lena Headley did in the decade of 2010s was Game of Thrones." You're fucking wrong. Nope. It's called Dread. It's dread. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's Dread. Sorry. Every answer you have, that I will answer it with this: it's Dread. This is a movie based on a comic book, a graphic novel, if you will, about a police officer in the future named Judge Dredd, because in the future, judges are both judge, jury, and executioner, and they're fucking cops. Like, this is, a, this is a cops and robbers movie set in one place, an apartment building, in like 2049, and like, Judge Dredd is just having to make his way up that apartment building to get to this person who runs it at the top, who's like a crime boss called Mama, played by Lena Headley, while also not trying to get his new recruit, who also might be psychic, from being killed and it's just a shoot 'em up fucking action movie. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Dread is not a man. Like you can't do it. And me and Justin had the best time. I went in with such low expectations because I thought they couldn't do this with Sylvester Stallone. How's this gonna work? And it's it's fucking amazing. Well, they also not only did they make a really just really stunning action movie, they stayed true to the principles of the comic book, which is insane to me, because the comic book is such a satirical look at like fascist police offer off police like fascist police force essentially which is mm-hmm. you know i mean look at the real world now they kind of predicted it <laughs> weirdly yeah they're uh, a little ahead of the curve uh, also, also i'd like to say carl on. urban is he is and you know what i didn't even yeah. introduce yeah carl urban is judge dread now and forever please give him a netflix show with dread like like seriously i'm worried that he might be too old now i feel like he was kind of in the pocket i feel like he was kind of in the pocket when this movie came out 
He's so good in The Boys, though. You should watch The Boys. I think that would change your mind. Ah, he still got so, it. He still well, got Stallone it. was kind of too old to play Dredd in the original, in the original Judge Dredd. Yeah. yeah. We'll just movie. call it Old Man Dredd. Olivia Thurby, by the way, as Anderson is fantastic. It's, it's really a really well-made movie. And the premise of the movie is Dredd is on the first day assignment with his new rookie to see if she qualifies to be a judge. And the two of them go into this building to investigate a crime. And it turns out they're right in the heart of like this giant gangster named Mama, played by Lena Headley in a really unflattering looking role um, as like this scarred up ex-prostitute who's now termed mob boss. And they start having to work their way up the floors. By the way, there's like, what, 96 floors? Something like that, yeah. It's, um, it's, yeah it's, based... it's in what they call a mega, it's like a mega something. Yeah, it's off a. It's based on a. It's called Mega City. It's well, it's in Mega City One. It's like a this like high rise structure. It's essentially those like London flats where they put like a lot of the poor people, where it's just like a hundred. Yep. It's like a hundred stories high. The the rooms are very small. It's essentially a take on that, only like to the biggest possible degree possible. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah yeah. Ugh, I don't know. It's 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 fucking just a good goddamn movie. It is, really. And, I mean, to say that this movie is the most, maybe the bloodiest movie on my thing, I will now give you a little story before we go into where... I saw this with Justin in South Dakota on just a hot day. We both walked out being like, that was a really fucking good movie. Like, I love Dread. And it makes sense. I mean, look who fucking look who fucking wrote it. Mm. Um, Alex Garland did the screenplay. And that's, uh, I mean, that's a dude who's going to come up later on my list. And, I mean, rumor has it may have directed this movie. He did not too. direct that. You don't think so? No. Pete Travers before Pete Pete Travers may not be like a great director, but he is a director who knows how to direct. Like uh, Garland might have been on set, and he might Travers might Travis might have been like, "You can direct this scene." I doubt he directed the whole thing. Fair enough. Look at you standing for Pete Travis. Um, Yeah, I mean he's he's. He's been directing like TV shows and movies since like the nineties. Like he's he's a director. He might not be a very yeah, good director, he, but he is a director. He did Vantage Point. Not a good movie, but you know. Uh, you want me? You want me to get to the why? <laughs> yeah, get to the why. All right. Dread is just a perfect balls out sci fi future cops and robbers movie. I tried to pick something from like every genre and. At one point, I realized I don't really have an action movie on this list. And beforehand with The Shape of Water, that's like a romantic slash sci-fi movie. And this is the action movie. If you're walking through my video store or my my theater, this is what it is. This is what would be playing for like best of the decade if you could pull shit like this off in a movie theater. And Dread would be the action movie. And it's really fucking nice because Dread is A, tight. Dread is A, just concise. And Dread never wastes your time. Dread knows what Dread wants to be. And Dread is a balls-out action movie. For example... I was watching this movie on a plane and I was so invested in it. At one point I thought to myself, man, you get that feeling like someone has like eyes on you. I turned around on the plane. There was just like a 10 year old boy watching my screen of dread behind me. And just like his eyes were wide. And I realized, Oh no, you shouldn't be watching this. This is, this is not for you. This is way too violent. And that's what makes this movie great. It doesn't hold back on the violence. It doesn't hold back on the polit- on the commentary. It treats it what it is, and that's the source material. And it treats it like what it was. And he's absolutely right. Tyler made a great point. Dread is just this perfect, violent, like propaganda statement from this guy who wrote a comic book and said, "I'm going to make this cop who's like this good cop." And like, it's amazing. It also has like just incredible small performances. All the other judges in it are incredible. Carl Urban is amazing as Judge Dread. I would happily have got like fucked with the Oscar or fucked with the Golden Globes. It'd never be an Oscar, but. Get- Get fucked with the Golden Globes be like, and for best performance in a comedy, Carl Urban is Judge Dredd. Just 
fuck with it. Why not? Because he's so good at it. It's one of the littler performances. By the way, you know what makes it good? He does the one thing that Stallone couldn't do. Keep your fucking helmet on. That's my life. Carl Urban keeps his helmet on. Dread is amazing. It deserves to be on this decade list. I'm going to yield my time. I would like to issue a correction to what Ben said. I did not say that Judge Shred is a good cop. I said that it is a depiction of a fascist police force. <laughs> so uh, I, I do not want anyone to equate me saying fascism and then good hey, in the same hey, sentence. Hey, 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 Dred, Dred's a good man. You don't talk about Dred. He, I mean, in the comics, it's he, less whether or not man. he's a good man. It's yeah. more of like, the force is bad. <laughs> the like way that they do things, not great. Look, well, I'll put it to you. I am those way. When you write out the spoiler for this one, when you do the spoiler for this one, put it all in capitals, bold it, underline it, so people know that you definitely don't associate with the uh, fascist state. Yeah, please do not let me. <laughs> please do not equate me in fascist. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, we've left. We've left theater number nine, and we're moving over to Tyler's theater number eight. Uh, no children admitted. No one under the age of 17 admitted. It is Steve McQueen's just dirtiest, the most ugh, ugh, movie. Shame. Start spreading the I'm longing to stray. 
doesn't sleep and find I'm king of the hill, head of the list, cream of the crop at the top of the crew and uh who made this little picture it's really two people kind of a two-hander i mean there's there's more than two people in it but it's it's really uh michael fassbender um fassbender uh and uh carrie mulligan um and it's directed what by a terrible last name sorry <laughs> sorry yeah, mulligan's not a great name <laughs> it's like it's like your name literally means to start over like um <laughs> i'm gonna take not. a mulligan on this one I'm just gonna try to start getting. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a carry on this one with just a photo of her face. Uh, I'm gonna God. take a Carrie Mulligan on this one. I, I love Carrie Mulligan. I um, do too. I think I think Mulligan's her 2011. An there's an argument that she should have won for education. Her 2011 yeah. is really good because it's this movie in Drive. Two Ooh, great man. performances in one. Out yeah, eight. yeah. And just seeing her titties in all of them. Goodness. Um, um, but she is like the perfect. I want to protect her girl in Drive. Like, cause it looks like Carrie Mulligan would break if you like, like brushed against her with your pinky in that movie. Not in this there's, movie though. She is, she is tough as balls. In there's movie. a lot of things about Drive that maybe we could have a talk about if we ever did an episode about Drive. Her character being one of them, but she gives a really good performance in a character I think is maybe less uh, written than a lot of other people think that think it is. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Shane. No, I completely agree. It's way. It's, it's, it is. But it's yeah, so Shane, and yeah. is there, and there's no one else in the movie, or is there anyone who, I guess that would lead us to who is making this movie? It was directed by Steve McQueen, who would, two years later, win uh, Best Picture and Best Director for his film, um, 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, and we're going to talk about it, ladies and gentlemen. He co-wrote worry. it, he co-wrote it with Abby Morgan, who is a playwright, female playwright, I believe. Let me look, let me make sure I'm not misgendering this person. The female playwright who... Is known from other movies, most notably The Iron Lady is a movie that she wrote. She also wrote Suffragette, uh, both of which I believe started on the street. But Ew. she co-wrote this one uh, with Steve McQueen. And do you want me to get into the plot of this movie? 
I mean, yeah, I guess. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a. By, by the way, by the, by the way, um, I'm, I'm, I didn't want to bring it up, and I, I told him you'd do it, but I guess you're not going to. You left a third person out of this movie, and I, well, that's him. Te- Ooh, yeah, thank you. I'm glad he texted me. Michael Fassbender's penis would like some recognition, please. Oh, right. Um, you yes. include him <laughs> in the cast, and um, I, I gotta tell you, he's he's at least a third of it because. Holy Lord. Oh, we're just going to get this out of the way now. Holy Lord. That man has a giant penis. And he knew it, too. And he's he does like, have I'm going to this movie. And I'm going to yeah. win the, my penis enough. Yeah, it's it's upsetting. Yeah. Their movie is called Shame for two reasons, if you're certain people. Me for how his life is going and what he has to struggle through. And shame for certain other things. You're just like, oh, okay. Good for you, um, Michael Fassbender. Just another thing. You want to be handsome, good at acting, and have a giant penis? Why, I would, Lord. Thank you. Like, what the fuck? Uh, some eagle-eyed viewers might notice that his penis is being played by Tom Hiddleston in an early performance. Oh, God. Gross. <laughs> oh, gross. Why did you say that? Why did you say that? It's the red hair, isn't it? Oh. Oh, gross. Disgusting. You see it in Hunger, too, and you're like, Jesus Christ. You have a potato right there, lad. Eat it. So my question is to you, what is the plot of this movie? So Michael Fassbender is a sex addict. The movie makes no bones about hiding any of it. He frequently masturbates. He frequently has sex with prostitutes. He is viewing pornography on his work computer. And maybe the funniest scene is like him coming to work and then being like, we're taking your computer because uh, it's got viruses. <laughs> uh, we're like doing like what mandatory a, checks on everybody's computer. and then what, like, a, what a metaphor, Steve McQueen. They're like, what, what a metaphor has a ton of viruses on it and was also chucked to the full of just pornography anything you want to talk about that they never catch him though he was, because the he guy was says like, to him the guy says to him like he goes do you think it was your intern and he goes i don't know and then like fucking the kid comes back on the on the screen to talk to his father and like he gets distracted and michael fassbender just walks away scot-free i was watching this at three in the fucking morning like last night and i was like fuck like what is happening this is insane like he is a sex addict and he is he's just in a downward spiral he is and i think the thing about this movie is that he I think it's such a bleak portrait of a man who's in a downward spiral, especially since the movie just decides to just like not give him any ability out. Like he just he falls down down a spiral, keeps going down a spiral, he hits rock bottom, and then just doesn't get better. Like the movie ends before he even attempts to get better. It actually kind of ends with him maybe getting worse. But yeah, shame. I mean, so and you know, you know, <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, and he and the reason he goes into this downward spiral is that his sister comes to visit and start, starts to stay indefinitely, and it throws his very manicured routine out of whack, and that causes him to be out of whack, and he doesn't get to whack, and then it just goes a whole bunch of other dark places. His Carrie Mulligan as his sister is great, and there's this like weird chemistry between them um, i was gonna ask you this i'm not doing my job as a, as a journalist or a podcaster if i don't ask you have those two fucked each other i don't think so but i think they've come close and there's the scene where he first busts in and she's nude in the shower and he doesn't immediately throw her a towel she's just like 
By the way, Carrie Mulligan also doing, we shouldn't just mention this, and we and I'm not saying this is like, oh, guys, go check this out for this reason. There's plenty of fucking in this movie that doesn't involve Carrie Mulligan. But Carrie Mulligan also does full frontal in a very, like, un, like several unflattering ways, and it's meant to be portrayed that way. Not saying Carrie Mulligan is unattractive, but they really do it from an interesting perspective. And, like... Like, she's never supposed to be... I mean, they do it in a way where it's, like, it almost becomes unsexy because you just, you're just you kind of getting super, like, too close to this character too quick, I guess. Yeah. I like, Carrie movie... Mulligan looks good. Carrie, Mul Carrie Mulligan, you can get it, is what I'm <laughs> saying. But, like, but at the same time, like, they didn't sexualize this character in this way. No. Um, and that's intentional. It's very intentional because I think it's to kind of... I don't know if it's because you're supposed to see it it through the eyes of Michael Fassbender, who's not sexualizing Carrie Mulligan, or if the movie it just is like no, like don't sexualize her because like I don't know, it's it's a very interesting. Is that, is that the sh is that the shame? Is that what the shame is? Maybe I think the shame is his shame for being like a sex addict and not trying to do anything about it. Uh, and by by the way, guys, Tyler was not kidding. Like this movie is exceptionally sexually graphic. Like this is a movie you need to watch. Like. Not out of shame, but you need to watch this movie because, like, you need to be careful who's around when you watch this movie. There is, like, a lot of fucking in this movie. There's a uh, lot of nudity. And it's also, it's also quite upsetting because of how... Yeah, and it's... And it's all, yeah, by the way, nice, nice having the only, uh, the only NC-17 movie. Many, not get, many get made anymore. <laughs> uh, Showgirls stopped NC-17 from being a movie. <laughs> God, Showgirls. There's another one. Good movie. Uh, yeah, but it has just, like, a horrific, like, rape scene at the end. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, oh, uh, oh a lot of you couldn't take it further, could you? It really does. But, uh, shame. Michael Fassbender is the whole movie. I mean, mm -hmm. you're not off of him at, at any point. Mm -hmm. Like, he, he is actor. He is he is supporting actor. He is Golden Ham winner. Like, he is he is everything. Um, yeah, it's... It's amazing, like, how good he is in this movie. I, mm. I wrote last night, I, uh, let me read you my little tweet that I wrote about this, um, because I was, I was just really, like, hitting on all cylinders last night. I could not fall asleep. I wrote, the second film from Steve McQueen focusing on sex addiction in the form of transformative performance by Fassbender, a film about people of a certain age and generation, a haunting portrait of someone going through a crisis, not for the faint of heart. Like, this is maybe the hardest movie in some ways to watch on either of our lists, I would say. I think it's up there, and it's definitely a. I would put it in movie. the Mount Rushmore of this, these two lists for the decades. So yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah, I would put it on the Mount Rushmore of Aki feels definitely a movie that uh, split a lot of people. Some people hate it. Some people are like, "That's one of the worst movies of the decade." Some people are like me. It's like, well, it's one of the best movies of the decade. Yeah, and yeah, no, I, you're not wrong. When and where did you see this? I don't remember. Oh, tell me, it was at the UNR library again. No. I'm not depraved. I think you're you're just like you've wrapped oh. your whole body around the computer, so it looks like his light is just coming out of the cracks. I did, at but a no one can see what you're watching. At a different school, I did watch Super, not knowing that there was a a uh, a scene between um, Ellen Page and uh, what's his nuts, Rain Wilson. That's very upsetting. And I was like, Doesn't I watched that scene. Like she does, rape she him or something. Succeeds in assaulting him, and uh, I yeah. was. 
I would like the scene happened and I was just like slowly closing my laptop <laughs> and like turning it away from people and being like, oh, fuck. I never watch any I never watch anything out of my house that doesn't have headphones connected to it. Just won't do it. Oh, it, no, no, no. Too... My headphones were in, but still I was just like, no. Fucking no. Oh, I see. It wasn't. Oh, OK. You're like, no, because no, no, the no, no, image no. was like two people having sex. And I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm not. And I was in a I was in yeah. a school library. And I was yeah. Like, oh, shame, has, shame has a lot of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to recut shame back to a PG. <laughs> it's going to not make a lot of sense. It's gonna be just, just Michael Fassbender being like, "Hi, sister Sally," and that's like the entire movie. <laughs> no, it's like it's like he runs through the door with the baseball bat. It hard cuts to him going into his office. It then hard cuts to him running on the street. It hard cut. It's like it's ten minutes long. They go, "This is the most brilliant ten minute short I've ever seen." And then it's just the last scene is him staring at that woman on the train. They're like, what was it about? I go, it's about sex addiction. And they go, oh my god, that's brilliant. I go, yeah. Wait till you see the director's cut when you're seventeen. I I remember I remember now. I saw Hunger because Hunger was on like Filmstruck back in the day, Hunger, and Hunger, I was like, "Hunger's fucking dope." Hunger fucking kicks ass. And then I was like, "Cool, what else has this guy made?" And I watched Shame, and then I watched Twelve Years a Slave, like in the run up to Widows. But this was like a little bit before Widows. It was like when I heard Widows was coming out, so I watched those two like back to back. And uh, bummer, fuckingville, man, bummerville, dude. That's just he's a guy. Steve McQueen <sighs> is quite good at creating a sad situation, and he. Somehow he, making it infinitely sadder with amazing performances. He's also, in, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about this a little bit later. He's very good at, like, introducing experimental ideas into fair that may be for more people. Like, shame is... Him going from hunger and then shame into 12 Years a Slave, which won Best Picture, is incredible. And, like, absolutely bewildering. Because, I mean, I mean, I'll tell you this. Let me... I just want to give this a quick thing. I saw that I mentioned earlier about the woman who gets screeners early. Nobody got shame and re- and we saw it at her house and like me and my friend Nathan went and it was just the two of us awkwardly sitting on a couch watching shame and Robin would walk by every once in a while and be like, Oh yeah, this is like, and just drinking wine and being like, Oh yeah, this seems pretty fucked up. And like, you just be like, she was out there for the penis scene. And I was like, I, I don't, I don't want you out here, Robin. Can, can you, can you not be out here? This is, this is weird for some reason. And an uncomfortable movie. Yeah. That, there there it is. Very uncomfortable. Although, can I say this? And I did want to add this in. This is where I got to give George Clooney credit. I believe he wins a Golden Globe that year for Best Actor in a performance, a drama, I believe. And when for he got up on stage, right? He, Hold on, thanked, sorry. He thanked everyone. I believe it was for Up in the Air. 2011? Descendants of 2013. So Up in the Air, he gets up there and he thanks everyone. And he says, oh, and Michael Fassbender. You get to meet a lot of other, you know, wonderful young actors. I met, uh, I'd like to thank Michael Fassbender for taking over the frontal nudity responsibility that I had. Really, Michael, honestly, if you can play golf like this with your hands behind your back. He mimes like a, like a, like a, like a Johnny Carson golf swing, right? He did it, but he did it with his hands behind his back. Oh, right. Like, Got that it. was the funniest part, yeah disgusting i love it i love i love george good old george clooney disgusting. stay in our lives george keep making movies uh well, but don't keep making movies keep being in movies <laughs> you dick i know we all didn't like suburbicon but we're gonna let him have it he gets a carrie mulligan on okay and we're back um that's been our yeah. she's like she's like stop using the name 
as a, as a joke. I hate it. And you're like, like, what are you gonna do? She's like, I'm gonna kick me husband Marcus Mumford to beat you up. I'm like, ah, ah no one likes, it. no one thinks Mumford is stuff. Turns out he's just a jack judo guy and just beats the shit out of both of us. We're like, sorry, Carrie Mulligan, we won't use your name anymore. So yeah, Carrie Mulligan on that little i can't remember where we came from with that but point being is you need three minutes to talk about it i assume not as much but uh, probably not as much let's start right. your timer and you're going to tell us why it deserves to be on that best of the decade three two one i think when you look at uh steve mcqueen where he starts at the decade and where he ends at the decade i think it's a very fascinating portrait i think it's a very fascinating trajectory because he starts with uh, a mid well i guess mid for this decade budget art housey sort of feature uh that's about uh sex addiction and like trying to get out of it and maybe not getting out of it maybe falling further down into your vices and receding as a person and not growing and he ends it with the kind of opposite type film like a heist movie um not to say any more about it but he has a fascinating trajectory and i think you could put all three movies on a best of the decade list or at the very least like I think Steve McQueen is a filmmaker where you definitely should watch his movies for this decade because I think he is one of the more important figures of the decade because he definitely, you know, he won an Oscar this decade. He kind of helped solidify a, a generation of black filmmakers. He's definitely one of the leading voices in that generation, even if he is British and not American. But he is an important voice. And I think this is less so important movie and more a movie that you should definitely watch because I think he is going to be someone that we're talking about 10, 20 years later as like one of the defining people of this time period in film. Um, and I think that this movie is kind of a way of getting it on the ground floor, if that makes sense. It's also bolstered by two really good performances from Fassbender and Mulligan. And it also just makes you feel bad. And sometimes you need that in a movie. So, yeah. Yeah, you know. I think I'll yield my time. Well, that takes us out of Tyler's very depressing number eight and into my depressing number eight. And my number eight would take place in 2011. I have a friend named Banky. And Banky has very odd taste in movies. He loves the talented Mr. Ripley. He is just into very just different movies. However, Banky and I worked at the theater. And for a good chunk of the 2010s, I worked at the Riverside Movie Theater. And one night, we got a print-in of a movie that would be nearly three hours long. And I think it's even longer with the director's cut. And this movie was by a filmmaker who we've spoken about not only on our first episode, but also on this episode, Terrence Malick, who would make a couple movies for this decade that would come off as massively important. And 2011 would be the year that he would bring us a movie that would not only capture imaginations, uh, turn people off, piss off old ladies who demanded their money back. And I said, I'm not giving you your money back. You have watched the entire film. And the lady was like, well, I want to see your manager. I'm like, I'm the highest ranking person here. You want me to call my boss whose day off it is? Because I will do that for you, ma'am, but you're not getting your money back. And she came in a week later and I was there and she said, I want to speak to the manager. I'm like, he's right here. And he came over and she said, this is what happened. And he goes, yeah, you're not getting your money back. Oh, it was so satisfying. The 2011s, before it all went wrong, starring Brad Pitt and several other people, including the problematic Sean Penn and Jessica Chastain. And what I think might be her best performance of the decade. And that's really saying something considering all the things she's been in. And yeah, uh, this is Terrence Malick's 2011 uh, film that redefined cinema in some ways for me that I watched at three in the morning, until three in the morning, not only this time watching it, but also when I watched it with Banky when we built it and dry ran it and the two of us were just riveted for three hours. This is Tree of Life. 
There are two ways through life. The way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. We're alligators. You'll be grown before that tree is tall. It takes fierce will to get ahead in this world. Come on, hit me. Hit me. Come on, son. He's afraid of you. You expect things that a mulling adult can accomplish. I've just always wanted you to be strong, be your own man. I will say that I did watch the extended cut, which was three hours long. Um, Whole Christmas. Uh, and yeah, it's a fucking long movie, man. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot of time. Yeah. Remember the scene where the boy goes, it's the over. Once again, this movie has a lot of monologuing. Yes. Oh, I thought you said something. I thought you said bad. No, 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 I was waiting for you. I was um, just waiting for you to finish this. Yeah, but the scene where he goes, mother father always you wrestle inside me that used to be banky's ringtone when he would call me and it has creeped out several people i just wanted to point that out sorry that's a really funny ringtone so you were saying i watched the three-hour cut i would say that that's probably the definitive cut now that's a big difference between the theatrical and the extended cut because theatrical is like 210 something like that no the theatrical is much longer it's 139 minutes that. No, no, no. The theatrical is 139 minutes, which is like two hours and 11, uh, two hours and 19 minutes. Fuck. I feel like, I feel like, okay, maybe. I feel like it was so the much longer. Extended cut than is that. three hours and eight minutes. That's fucking Jesus long. Christ. <laughs> it's, it is. It is a lot. So this is, this is a movie directed also by Terrence Malick, who's on both of our lists, which I think if, uh, um, we're going to do something in the second episode of this should be in consideration. Terrence Malick is an incredible filmmaker. And I think this is maybe him stretching his uh, legs and doing his most, maybe swing for the fences, 2001, a space odyssey tribute as it can get. Cause mm-hmm. this is, this is quite a visually striking film. You're not wrong. This is his first film of the decade. It's his, it was his first film since the new world. It feels like a lot of the decade he's just been making like whatever he can it really feels like he realizes that he's in his 70s and will probably pass in the relative recent future like hopefully not after a long valuable life but it does seem like he is just making movies man (laughs) 
And it seems like he's figured out a way to whisper and pour honey in the ear of actors to be like, you're going to be in this movie. and People aren't going to like it, but they're not going to say they're not going to like it. He, when he came back in 98 with The Thin Red Line, he was able to cast literally every working American actor. <laughs> and then some non-American actors because they all wanted to work with him. Same thing yeah, with the new he's world. amazing. Same thing. With we've the we've spoken about this. We can't do that. We can't talk about the new world because I will go into the new world and I want to save the new world when we do in 2020. I'm promising you this, ladies and gentlemen, Pocahontas and the new world, essentially the same movie, way different versions. Way That's right. 2020. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into the real life. Yeah. What is this about? It's about a guy who's remembering his childhood and Brad Pitt was his father. I don't think it's actually Brad Pitt, but Brad Pitt plays his father and Jessica Chastain plays his mother. And it's about growing up at a time where we were kind of like weirdly innocent. It was like the fifties, right? Like it was like that suburban clean cut American home stuff, but there's still troubles in those houses and it affects people of today. And the guy in the future is played by Sean Penn for some weird reason. We don't need to talk about his scenes. If you lose his scenes, it's actually an amazing movie. I think there might be actually more of his scenes in the extended cut. Um, I think the extended cut is actually a lot more of the yeah. like space stuff and a lot more of the like abstractions. Full, full disclosure to the audience. Tyler did text me. Tyler did text me. Oh shit. There's some dinosaurs. <laughs> I texted my girlfriend like, yo, this movie's got dinosaurs in it. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you little bitch. And you're like, what? And she goes, oh, sorry. I thought you were someone else. You're like, wait, who did you think was texting about your life? She's like, no one, no one. Don't worry about it. And you're like, what? It just becomes more confusing. Ben, I got to be real with you. Yeah, go ahead. I think this is kind of a weird pick for you. <laughs> it's really not. You got to remember, dude, there was a time where I absorbed everything because I worked at that theater and I could watch everything sure. for free. The Tree of Life is just a really visually stunning movie that deserves to be recognized not only for that, but just some of the interesting things that go on in that movie that I don't really know. That movie's way too smart for me. I'll fully admit that, but it's just a really well done. And like Brad Pitt, you could uh, well, you could watch Brad Pitt stare at a baby's foot for an hour. He's so good in that movie. Brad Pitt's incredible in that movie. He has one of the most frightening scenes of the decade um, when he, at, when like the son the, talks the back table. to him and he like fucking loses it. Yeah. At the table. Can, can I, can I tell can I tell you this? I, I'm not saying we did this, but if people would slam the door in snack bar, we would make them close it 10 times quietly. Um, I'm not saying that's a thing we did, but it could be. <laughs> that's actually really funny and very mean. Isn't that funny? But that, that is pretty isn't, funny. Isn't that, isn't that funny? You will not slam the door! When that boy yells that out, I wear my knee out, laying my hand. Jessica Chastain, by the way, this might be her apex of just, just I, I don't even know. There is there is something so captivating about Jessica Chastain in this movie. And it's weird that she makes a li she makes two lists this year. She makes my worst of 2019 and my best of the decade. With, what was her uh, worst of the decade? Uh, X-Men, oh, uh, right. Dark I Phoenix. fucking forgot she's in that fucking movie. Yeah, really bad. Oof, what a bad movie. Yeah, she's really incredible. Brad Pitt's amazing. It, like you said, it does have some very intense scenes. But well, I just like this movie, dude. The plot is, it's about growing up in the same... By the way, they run through chemicals when they're spraying them in the streets. Good Lord. Oh, that I didn't know. really creeped me out. Oh, yeah. I did not like that. When and Where was the movie... I think we were in Theater 6, and we watched it from about midnight... We must have had a longer cut or something, because we watched it from midnight to, like, 2 in the morning. Maybe it was about that. Yeah, so midnight... It's two hours, yeah. Two in the morning, and goddamn, just captivated, captivated every moment of it. Went to see it again like a week later with my parents, and was just still infinitely fascinated by it. And yeah, it's a great movie. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this: I don't need time to talk about it. Tree of Life, really solid movie. Check it out. Nothing really happens in it, but at the same time, you walk away feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, that's that's all I need to say about Tree of Life. I want to yeah. bring it really quick. It won. Door. It won the Palm Door 
at the Festival de Cannes. Oh, yeah. That's right, it did. Um, and it was up for Best Picture. And I just want to say that the Paul, the, the con like in, in competition lineup is kind of pretty fucking weird. <laughs> you have the artist, best picture winner, the artist, uh, you have drive, but, uh, uh Refn. Hey, um, hey, we, we, we can't go back on it. We like the artist. We like the artist. I, I'm not saying anything bad about the artist. I, I do kind of like that movie. That movie is very charming. The, Takeshi Miike remake of Hurikuri, Death of a Samurai. La Harve, a really good movie by Akiri Kurizamaki. Uh, House of Tolerance, The Kid with the Bike, Melancholia, The Skin I Live In. We need to talk about Kevin. Just a lot of, wow, a lot of is a good movies. And you're, you, or we need to talk about Kevin as a legit upsetting it's movie. Legit, but, yeah. Okay, so yeah. Um, you know what? I'm kind of stoked that my number seven leads into your number seven the way it does. You mentioned movies that are very much evoking uh, a certain movie. That'd be 2001 Space Odyssey. And boy, does my movie from 2014 evoke 2001 A Space Odyssey. There's, of course, a movie that I talked about on our Chris Nolan episode, um, and I gave a glowing review to, also starring Jessica Chastain, um, 2014's Interstellar. never made one of these when you were still responding because I was so mad at you for leaving. And then when you went quiet, it seemed like I should live with that decision, and I have. But today's my birthday. And it's a special one because you told me You once told me that when you came back, we might be the same age. And today I'm the age you were when you left. This might be a real good time for you to come back. You know, Tyler, I, I gotta tell you. I rewatched this movie last night and I wrote that I didn't have the burden of hearing people of an older age who might not understand sci-fi the way we understand sci-fi ask questions for nearly two hours and 49 minutes, thus making it hard for me to focus on. I think I finally got this little movie pinned down. It's by no means in my top four for Christopher Nolan movies of his Mount Rushmore. I will still not yield that that movie should be on my top four, but I respect this movie a bit more. And I gotta tell you, man, like, I can kind of see what you're talking about with this movie. I finally understood. He does a thing in every movie where there's a thing you need to know about at the start. And once you know that, you're going to be able to find the thing at the end. I didn't pick up on the ghost thing. Not that I didn't pick up on it the first time I saw it, but I didn't pick up on that it was so important and key. That's that's kind of thing because these old people were just talking throughout it. So, mm. yeah. I, that makes sense. And we didn't really, I, I think I'm glad we're doing this too. We didn't really give this movie its proper due when we did it on the Mount Rushmore. So I want to ask you, Tell me who made this and who's in the movie. Well, as we as I as I mentioned, uh, Christopher Nolan, uh, he made this movie. He directed this movie, produced this movie uh, with his wife 
and it stars Anne Hathaway, Ellen Burstyn, Michael Caine. By the Kane. way, by the way, least least annoying Anne Hathaway performance. Uh, very good Anne Hathaway performance. As I like, I really like Anne Hathaway, and she's great in this movie. Um, I know you don't, but I just want to. I just want to say that I like Anne Hathaway. Bill Irwin, some dude named Casey Affleck, who I hear uh, only bad things about. So we won't talk about him. By the much. way, if if you could, if you could just, if you could cut his scenes out of this movie, if you cut out the second child, or if you cut out the second child and you make him like a guy who's just off farming somewhere when he gets older, this movie works a hell of a lot better. Yeah, Casey Affleck's performance is like detriment. One of the most detrimental to a movie performances I think I've ever seen, because he's just like, and don't hey, hey Murph, I don't think you should worry about dad anymore. Like it's the fucking just the drizzling shits. It's, it's it's not good, and you also don't like Casey Affleck. There, we've said our piece about Casey Affleck. Yeah. Also, Sean Penn, fuck you too. Um, going back to True <laughs> I'll be like, I'll be like, I'll be like, pull the car over. I got to go back, and you're like, what happens? Like I forgot to punch Sean Penn in the face, and I. <laughs> I gotta run real quick. In fact, pull the car up. Let's just clip him with it so he can't chase me. I, I almost made a joke about the Irishman, and I'm glad I didn't. Um, Sean Penn in the No, there's a car. There's a scene where someone gets out of a car and then uh, gets back into a car after doing something. <laughs> and just and hits him with the car. Nice. You'll 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 know when you see it. Um, okay, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. So tell uh, us this... tell us what this. Yeah, tell us and tell us who's in. And you also said was that everybody. There's one person. This movie was also made in the middle, or actually, it might actually be the end. No, middle. Middle of the Mac- Matthew McConaissance. Um, that was how oh, that, plagued, <laughs> that plagued movie theaters in the mid-2010s. Okay, first of all, he's quite good. He No, he's good. I like to make fun of Matthew McConaughey because he's a very specific like actor, actor, like actory actor. But he's very good in this. It's one of his most natural performances. It's one of his most down to earth uh, performances. You know, you know, Tyler. I- I'm going to tell you something. Can we cite the fact uh, Matthew McConaughey has had a good decade of acting? Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at sure. his filmography. Let's take a look right now. The Dallas Buyers Club. I mean, like. Okay. All right, get oh. the fuck out of here. <laughs> We do I'm not, not have kidding. enough time. No, but in all honesty, he has that The Free State of Jones. Okay, we've had our gold. Fun. Gold. The Dark Tower. White Boy Rick. Okay. I say everything. That movie's perfect. from uh, before like two thousand. Uh, I would say this is the last movie. I think this yeah. is the last movie. Yeah, because he see uh, the Sea of Trees, which is a Van Zandt movie that is apparently one of the worst movies of the decade. My parents have seen Sea of Trees. I wonder what they think about it. What's that? Um, I wonder what they think. They about thought it. it was okay. They're like, they're like, that was a movie. It was very odd, but it was a movie. And I was like, huh, all right. Interstellar. What is this about? Do you want to go over the reconnaissance, or do you just want to get to Interstellar? I, I honestly, I mean, like, do you want to talk about the reconnaissance? Because I will tell you. I am a person who helped a friend of mine hold a Matthew McConaughey film festival at his house. <laughs> we just watched it on a projector outside, and. Um, I gotta tell you, he didn't do like everything from the reconnaissance, but he, he had a he had a sparkling little list of stuff. Yeah, so essentially, the reconnaissance is after the movie The Lincoln Lawyer in two thousand eleven. I'll say this: I got twelve people to sit out. Yeah, oh. um, good movie. Uh, he kind of has this run where he's in Bernie, which is the aforementioned like good, solid Richard Linklater movie, and upsetting movie called Killer Joe, Mud, Magic Mike. Don't think about the paper boy. The Dallas Buyers Club, Wolf of oh, Wall Street. Oh no! Screw you, it, screw you! The paper boy. The paper boy is good. And it ends with Interstellar. Yeah, Interstellar is where it does end because he hits Sea of Trees, Free State of Jones, and he just keeps yeah, hitting every over. unlucky branch. 
but he, but he's back this year, baby. He's going to be nominated for a Golden Globe for the Beach Bum. Calling it now. Oh, I wish Beach Bum's good. It's the perfect movie to nominate someone for a Golden Globe for. I got. For. It's I an got, even better movie to let him win for. I got high. I got so high I couldn't move, and the <laughs> Beach Bum rules. Anyway, Interstellar. He's a guy going to space because he needs to save the world because the world is dying. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that Nolan has become like the film. Like by film guy, I mean like the like physical, anamorphic film, uh, <laughs> like 35, 70 millimeter film. Seeing as mm-hmm. you and I lived in a place where you couldn't see it on uh, the film format, <laughs> I watched it uh, in the lead up to our Nolan episode, which I know is the next question, and I was not expecting. I was expecting like, oh fuck, I gotta watch this movie for the fucking thing, and. I was like blown away. I was like, I started watching it. And then all of a sudden I was like, I didn't have enough time to watch the whole thing. But I was like, I'll just like start it and see where I am tomorrow. And I ended up watching like half of it. Cause I was just like transfixed by the opening hour or so. And then it got to like the space stuff. And I was like, okay, I'll just like two chunks. I'll do the earth stuff and the space stuff. The space stuff is by far some of the most interesting filmmaking I've seen from Nolan, which is a guy I don't typically love. It's. I was like, he should just make every movie about space. <laughs> like, I think it's his most interesting movie. I think it's definitely a movie for people who maybe don't love Nolan. It's the movie that they can sink their teeth into the most because it's the one that's, for a lot of people, the least grounded in actual physical human emotion and the most that's kind of like this Baroque, a humanoid pretending to know what emotion is in many respects. I, I really just, I kind of love it. I love it. I love the ending. The ending makes me cry every time. I love the black hole stuff. That could be my why for best of the decade as well. Well, we can make that your why. I'm going to bring in this before you say, you forgot to mention someone. Did I forget to mention Michael Caine? No, but you know what? You Actually, you may have, but you know, no, because we forgot one. Matt Damon. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot because he's not Um, listed in the Matt fucking Damon is in this movie. I know, it's great. They hide him, and it's one of the best reveals of all time. Matt Damon plays an insane asshole, and he's so good at it. I didn't know he was in the movie, like, at all. Like, I'd forgotten. I'd Did you not it... know that going in? Cause I no, didn't... I'd watched it so far after. It's a great reveal. Because I watched it so far after the movie had come out that, like, the, either the, like, twist that Matt Damon's in the movie, like, didn't get to me. Yeah. Because, like, I didn't see it when it came out, and it had been so long since it had come out that, like, I was watching it, and I was like, I looked at like the cast list and I was like, okay, so there's people in the movie. And then I was like, oh, I wonder who that like, who that guy who sent the the signal is gonna be because like I don't see him in anywhere in the cast. I'm like, oh, it's fucking Matt Damon. Matt Damon's in this movie. Oh my god. I was like amazed. And then like Matt Damon turns out to be evil. I was like, oh my god. The only thing more shocking than it is, and what I love about it is, it subverts the genre of sci-fi because you think the robot that's the best dude in the movie. Like, Tars? you want to yeah. hang out with that. Yeah, Tars, you're like, oh, I want to hang out with that robot. Set your humor back to 75. Knock, knock. You want it at 55? Um, <laughs> I want to give a Matt Damon the Oscar for this. He does a lot in this movie. I think he deserved it for this. I don't know. I feel like there was, like, this backlash to it when it came out of people being like, no, nah, it's not as good as everybody says it is. But, like, I don't know. And that, like, that kind of kept me from going to see it. But, like, I don't know. I think this movie, I think this movie rules. I'll say this. The only thing more surprising than Matt Damon in this movie is that Jessica Chastain would would fuck Topher Grace. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. Oh, you're not wrong. I'm never going to convince. Yeah. <laughs> Topher Grace? Him? Why, Nolan? Why? He goes, I think he's beautiful. You're like, I thought you were American. He goes, I'm both. 
I'm like David Bowie. And you're like, wait, was David Bowie American? He goes, I don't know. But yeah, like Nolan, Nolan's a genius, dude. And I, I cannot wait to see what 2020 gives us with uh, Tenant. I can't wait to see what we get him from him. Because I think he is going to step into maybe the Spielberg role of just making these big, like, kind of just entertaining movies. I mean, he'll have to claw, claw that out of Spielberg's cold, dead hands. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Spielberg's not going to go quietly into that good night. I'm interested for that fucking... <laughs> I'm interested in whatever the fuck he's putting out next year. West Side Story? Yeah. I'm like, Spielberg doing a musical. All right, whatever. Yeah, buckle up. I mean, I think you've gotten the last word. You really enjoy Interstellar. I think I really enjoyed it. Also, we talked about it before, so if people want more, they can... I get you. Well, good. We, sp- we sped episode. through both of our number, our number eights. I guess that takes us to my number seven. And my number is a little movie by two gentlemen who, I, I gotta tell you, I just love when these two make a movie. They're two of my favorite directors. And in a potentially weaker decade, they may have even climbed up higher, but they fall at my number seven position. And I don't think it would be another decade list for Ben Colton if he didn't have them on there. And that's 2013's movie from Joel and Ethan Cohen, the brothers Cohen, about a folk singer in the New York area who doesn't believe he ever wants to sell out and simply wants to stay true to the music no matter what it takes. And with guitar, coat, and cat in hand, he makes his way through the city of New York and out to other places to try to prove that he can be a one-man act after his partner threw himself off the George Washington Bridge. This is, of course, 2013's Inside Lewin Davis. You don't know if it's mine? No, how would I know? So it could be Jim's? Yes, asshole! You don't want it either way, to be clear. To be clear, asshole, you fucking asshole, I want very much to have it if it's Jim's. That's what I want. But since I don't know, you not only fuck things up by fucking me and maybe making me pregnant, but even if it's not yours, I can't know that, so I have to get rid of what might be a perfectly fine baby. A baby I want, because everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas's idiot brother. Well, okay. I see. You know a doctor, right? Yes. From when? Whatever, Diane? Yes. And you'll pay for it? Yes. <sighs> Don't tell Jim, obviously. I should have had you wear double condoms. Well, we shouldn't have done it in the first place, but if you ever do it again, which is a favor to women everywhere, you should not. But if you do, you should be wearing condom on condom and then wrap it in electrical tape. You should just walk around always inside a great big condom because you are shit. Okay. You should not be in contact with any living thing being shit. Have you ever heard the expression, it takes two to tango? Fuck you. Well, I could say we should talk about this when you're less angry, but that would be, that'd be, when would that be? Fuck you. I miss Mike. Can I ask you for a favor? You're joking. It's not for me, it's for the Gorefines. Their cat got out. Could you leave the fire escape window open? It's winter. Just enough for the cat to squeeze back in, it could come back. To our apartment? It was there like six hours. Why would it come back there? I don't know. I'm not a fucking cat. Think about it. I lost their fucking cat. I feel bad about it. That's what you feel bad about? I just want to pull yep. the curtain back for, 
curtain back for everybody listening at home. Uh, our original lists, Ben had Before Midnight, and I had Inside Lewin Davis. I assume Ben, like, forgot Inside Lewin Davis existed or something and, like, forgot to put it on one of his lists. And he was like, oh, I might want that on my list. And so literally a couple of days ago, Ben shot me a text and was like, I think I might be dropping Before Midnight. And I was like, how about this? I love Inside Lewin Davis. You love Inside Lewin Davis. I love Before Midnight. Why don't we flip them? since they're from the same year, and it'll still fit our list. We can still talk about how much we both love Inside Llewyn Davis, and that also gives yes. you anything, a Coen Brothers movie, because I know how much you love the Coen Brothers, on your list, so you don't look like and someone full, who forgot the date. And full disclosure, too, upon rewatching Before Midnight on my list, for Tyler's list, I would have happily kept Before Midnight on, or watching it on time for it was Tyler's list, because I rewatched everything Tyler had on his list. I would have kept Before Midnight on there. Before Midnight is an amazing movie, and... As is inside Lewin Davis. But yeah, I just, you, I cannot not do a list like this without having the Coen brothers on. I mean, I'll be honest, like there was real talk of Ballad of Buster Scruggs or a couple other things potentially making on, but this is their best movie of this decade. And goddamn, what a movie this is. I mean, I'll be honest, my first draft of my list had True Grit at like the 10 spot because I fucking love True Grit. True Grit's amazing too. There is nothing wrong with True Grit. It's directed by the Coen brothers. It stars... Oh, she's back. She's back. Little Carrie Mulligan's back. We're going to make some Mulligan jokes again. Don't do it. Don't do it. Bumfoot and Son will be back in a minute. We got Justin Timberlake. We have Adam Driver in maybe the low-key funniest performance. Uh, maybe like a Coen Brothers movie. Uh, there's a real argument for him for just like in and out, quick little funny performance. Can I do like, my Adam Driver in yeah. this movie, uh, my, uh, my impression of him? Please do. Outer space. Outer space. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that might can be that, the, that might be the yeah. You know what? We're, can that be the clip? Yeah. <laughs> can that be the clip of that song? Do you want me to just do you want, do you want me to just him just please Mr. Kennedy? Yeah, please. The please Mr. No, Kennedy. No, I have so another. I, I'm gonna. Put, I'll, I'll put it at the end. I will put it at the end for sure. I had something. Oh, what did I have? Please, Mr. Kennedy will be the song that closes us out for this part because goddamn. And honestly, that actually leads us perfectly. This is a movie about songwriters. And this is a movie about a very like different time of songwriting. It's the village of New York, right? Yeah, it's... Um, it, these, are, these are all village. like people... In I think it's Greenwich yeah. Village. Where there was like this thriving folk scene in the 60s where it was this like like kind of like folk scene meeting the like beatnik scene and like the hippie stuff kind of all culminated in like this early 60s folk scene. It's actually they based some of the look and style of Lewin Davis off of a real folk singer who's very good. His name is Dave Van Rolk. If people want to check his stuff out. Sort of a similar thing. He's no Lewin Davis. Like he was actually a very successful folk singer for his time. But it's this very interesting time and period where the folk scene is has like all of its eyes on it. It's before a certain someone breaks out and becomes the folk scene, essentially, and becomes the thing everyone talks about. And who could that be? <laughs> oh, there's uh, something in the the, the the winds must be a change in or whatever the hell that song's called. Um, the, the, the times they are a change in? That one. I think you just combined blowing in the wind. I did. And the times they are a change in. Hold on. I'm gonna into give the you... perfect Bob Dylan song. The winds they are a changing. <laughs> it's about nothing. Um, right, because uh, the winds they are a changing. It's like he's literally singing about the weather. Don't get fooled by him. 
And then someone came to Bobby and said, what if you split the two up? What if the times are changing and then things are blowing in the wind? And he goes, I love it. Like, and that's how they saved Bob Dylan. Here's an alternate take. Uh, like a rolling stone, uh, um, that man comes in and blows everything up. Not literally, but you know, you know what I mean. Oh, and you know anyway. what we didn't mention? Oscar Oscar Isaacs in the titular role of Lewin Davis. Absolutely incredible. And he is the title of this movie, and he is the movie. You follow this guy on like two weeks of him just trying to gig and like survive in New York with not really having a job, but also not wanting to sell out and go corporate because he's his devotion is to the music. Like it's how he makes his living. Yeah. And the person who he was they were kind of taking off. They had a lot of traction. They were um a duo. The other person killed themselves. Correct, right? Yes. From what yes. I remember, you find out you find out that he is he is starting a solo act. I mean, he has cut a record called Inside Lewin Davis, but at the same time, he also had a duo. And by the way, the music in this movie is fucking amazing. Like mm. this, I think, might be the best soundtrack of the decade. Oh, it's up there. And that's in a decade where, and I know you probably won't agree with this, like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and 2 came out. And I think those are really effective soundtracks for what they're trying to do, even though it is manipulation. I will fully admit that. Um, you're you're going to hate this, like, but that's those are the best parts of those movies. I agree to disagree. We don't have time right now. <laughs> uh, we, we just, we just, I, heard, I heard Ben have an aneurysm. <laughs> don't. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, I've I've completely gone simple. I I, I know you don't mean that. And we're going to boy erase you and get you on the bright track with Guardians of the Galaxy once again. We're going to get you up in there. We're going to boy erase that hate out of your heart or whatever that movie's about. Pretty sure that's what it's about. It's about hate, right? He's a white supremacist or something? Sure, yeah, definitely. That's definitely what um, <laughs> But this movie... Inside Lewin Davis follows this guy, and Oscar Isaacs is incredible in this movie. There's a reason Oscar Isaacs has had such a good decade, and this is a major contribution to it. You might not agree with this, but I feel like his being cast as Poe Dameron really like kind of put the brakes on a really interesting start to the decade. It seems like he's only been in outside of like some perform like some like minor. I guess 2018 he was in a lot of stuff, but like outside of some like minor like showing up as like a uh, cameo performances, I haven't really seen him in much. Oh, I guess Life itself. Which oh, oh see, I, I see. I disagree. I think he's made some very interesting stuff over the course of um over the course of these years. I mean, there's there's something later on in my list we're gonna talk about, but I mean, I'll mention this: a most violent year um is a really interesting performance. The reason I think those movies slowed him down is because those movies take forever to make. Yeah, I'll say this: it's not a good movie, but he's interesting in Suburbicon. Oh, he's the best part of Suburbicon. Oh yeah, in um, my opinion, fu- he comes in at- for like 15 minutes, and the movie's great again. <laughs> yeah. Fu- fucking at eternity's gate he's bizarre in and i'm no way saying he's a bad actor i'm just saying because star wars takes yeah. so much time i feel like the momentum he had from a most violent year and ex machina in this movie i feel like it kind of like the brakes got hit a little bit because of those it's funny you say that though because the interesting thing about that is poe dameron is such a secondary character in those movies because he doesn't really do a lot in the star wars movies and yet it hasn't affected adam driver in the same way no, if anything, Adam Driver went the opposite direction. He's become more successful. Oh, dude, he blew up. Like, like I'll say this. If Adam Driver wins Best Actor this year for Marriage Story, and there is real talk about that as a possibility, if he does, it also has to do with he might be in one of the most successful movies of the year, which is Star Wars. You know he's going to be good in that movie. Yeah, and it's the conclusion, and I already know how it's going to end because I understand Star Wars, unlike some people. <laughs> but... Please what the fuck does that mean? Please edit that out. I don't know what I'm saying. No, you're good. But okay. Yeah. But yeah, so 
Yeah, but it's weird. It hasn't. And both of them are in this inside Lewin Davis. And I think the scene you're talking about that you love the most is where they're singing the song, Please, Mr. Kennedy. Please, Mr. Kennedy is is so funny. And also the saddest moment in the movie. (laughs) Because he... Oh, it is not. No, the saddest moment in the movie is where he plays that beautiful song for F. Murray Abram. And F. Murray Abram at the end just goes... I just don't see you as a single. And you're just like, no, no, someone help Oscar Isaacs. He's in hell or something. And then John Goodman dying. I think those are the most outwardly sad, but I think something about it is that and the Merchant Marines thing where he like tries to sign up for the Merchant Marines, but because he has so many, so much debts, he can't actually join them. So essentially he just has to pay the debts. It's funny, but it's also very dark. I think him signing away- Your Bud Lewin's kid? How's he doing? No, no, he goes, oh, he was just asking about you. Because remember, remember, he plays that song for his father, and then his father just shits himself. Right. Yeah. Oh, God, so sad. It's very sad. But I think him signing the away any royalties to a song that becomes number one. Oh, yeah. Is yeah. obliterated me the first time I watched it. I mean, he takes it in good stride, like, and, I mean, shit, the stuff with the cat is so good. We didn't even talk about the scene on the bench with Carrie Mulligan is one of the best, like, duo performances of the decade. The decade. Just the amount of animosity she has for him is so hate. By the way, that, that might be the clip where they're just having the conversation on the bench. I want to get to this really quick before we get to your why. I want to know when was the first time you saw this. Actually, this is a great story. It was me, Brielle, Nathan, Annie, our fr- and our friends David and Casey, and we all went over to Robin's again because she, she had an early screener of this because we didn't get this till like January at the theaters. And we got to watch this in like mid-November. And it was just like perfect. Like Robin, like we brought over like a pizza. Have you ever had Nick and Willie's pizza? No. It's down on like the on the old side of town, like headed towards Carson. They make like just a really good pizza. And we had oh. that pizza and we watched Lou and Davison drank wine. It was like the classiest like thing we've ever done. That is... Probably not the classics, but it was it was nice. It's up there, yeah. I've never had Nick and Willie's pizza. I'm gonna, figure that, I'm gonna have to have that when I get back. Oh, next time you're in town, we should go get Nick and Willie's pizza. It's fucking dope. And they also uh, have a Simpsons arcade machine. There's a bar that has a Simpsons arcade machine, like right down the street from uh, the theater from Riverside. And we used to hmm. go. We used to Raph and my girlfriend. What we would do is we go see a movie like on Tuesdays, and then we would walk to the bar and we'd have a drink. I get you. Nice. Fucking so, halcyon days, man. Yeah. So you want me to get to the why? Yeah, get to the get to the why. Get to the why. Alright, so the why the why is this. It's it's a movie about music and it's a movie about loving what you do, even if that thing does not always love you back, which is exactly what Lewin is about. Lewin is this guy who wants to be like a great musician and in some ways he is but the world just isn't ready to see that or it's just never going to see that and he keeps gigging no matter what the cost the dude loses like everything at one point and it's just such a heart-wrenching thing but it's also like legitimately a funny movie there are scenes in the movie that are great every time john goodman is in that car with lewin davis and garrett headland who i don't think garrett headland says more than like 10 words in this movie and it's hysterical the coen brothers know how to mix both drama and humor together in a way that very few filmmakers do and joel and ethan cohen have had a pretty good Good decade they've had stuff outside of this that has been good as well and they've had some interesting stuff i think they're starting to slow down a little bit but that's okay great filmmakers deserve to like take their time and start working at a slower pace and i think this is a movie that really shows that in the fact that you're kind of with this character and if you don't like lewin davis and to be honest you cannot like lewin davis he's kind of a dick at times and he kind of makes decisions that are not great 
you can still go along with this character. And that's a great thing. They force you to make a choice with a character. Not a lot of movies do that. It's a very rare movie that forces you to make choices about characters. And that's how you walk out talking about, oh, well, I think Lewin Davis is a good guy. Whereas like someone you're with could be like, I think Lewin Davis is a real dick. And both of those situations are probably correct. So for 2013, Inside Lewin Davis is my pick and it deserves to be on this list. The Coen brothers are still a relevant, great thing. I still think they have many great movies to show us. But that being said, Tyler, you're kind of making me uncomfortable. You're giving me a real hard stare. What's what's that about? It's my mad stare. That's what, I, that's what I do when I'm mad. Or when I want someone I to do something. Up. From 2017, it's the best movie from 2017. It's one of the best comedies of the decade. It is the best comedy of the decade. Fuck it, I'll say it. It's about a little bear. It's Paddington 2. Doesn't that man live in the big house on the corner? It's Phoenix Buchanan. Dad's celebrity client. Mm. He's one of our Platinum Club members. And a very famous actor. Oh, used to be. Mm. Now he just does dog food commercials. Mm. Mrs. Bird doesn't like him because he can never remember her name. Now then, simmer down, simmer. All right, a little bit more. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm at my worst tonight. I really am. I am tickled the deepest shade of shrimp to have been asked here tonight to open this wonderful old steam fair. But you know, when Madame Kozlova created this thing all those years ago, she most certainly was not thinking of people like me, whatever I am. VIP, celebrity, I hate all that stuff. No, no, West End legend, that's another <laughs> No, no, she was thinking of you guys, huh? The ordinary people. So, I'm going to ask one of you to come up here and open the fair. Volunteers. Anyway. Meeny, meeny, miny. Bear. Oh, let's have the young bear. Why not? Come, come, young Ursan. Thank you. Up here, my furry friend. Very good, very good. Now, your name is? Paddington Brown. Oh, well, of course it is. You are my new neighbour. You live with Henry and Mary and the great Mrs... Now then, I suppose you know who I am. Oh, yes. You're a very famous actor. Oh, poo. <laughs> or used to be. Now you do dog food commercials. <laughs> well, a man has to eat. Dog food? <laughs> oh, very, very funny. Anyway, they do say that at Madame Kozlova's, all your dreams come true. So, if you had one wish tonight, what would it be? Oh, that's easy. I'd like to get my Aunt Lucy a birthday present. Oh. I've got my eye on an old pop-up book of London, made by Madame Kozlova, as it happens. The only problem is it's rather expensive, so I need to get my paws on an awful lot of money. Well, I'm not sure that we can offer you that, but we can, of course, offer you oodles of fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you would like to lend me a paw, we now declare Kozlova's steam fair open! A word in your ear. Hmm? This, uh, this pop-up book. Do you know it? I know of it, but I was led to believe it was lost. Where on earth did you find it? Oh, at Mr. Gruber's antique shop. He's keeping it to one side for me, but I really need a job. I don't suppose you have any advice, do you? No, no, no. I imagine you just have to start at the bottom of the ladder and work your way up. <laughs> do you know what, Mr. Buchanan? You've just given me the most brilliant idea. Have I? I'm going to be a window cleaner. Well, let me ask you something, Tyler. You feel, you feel good about yourself? I do. You feel like a big man making Ben cry in the last 45 seconds of this movie? 
So good, right? <laughs> it, dude, dude, I, I did. Uh, so full disclosure, ladies and gentlemen, I had not seen Paddington 1 or 2. I had heard things about them, but I had never really had anyone who'd said anything that I trusted. And Tyler says, okay, one of my movies is Paddington 2 for Best of the Decade. I'm like, Paddington 2? But Bear, what the fuck is this? So about two weeks ago, I put on Paddington 1 and said, okay, what the, what the fuck could this possibly be? I, he, he's got to be fucking with me or something. And I sit down and I watch this movie. And Paddington comes on the screen. I'm like, okay, he's like a little CGI bear. I, I get it, whatever, who cares? And all of a sudden I realized, oh no, this isn't a movie for kids, even though it is. This is a 60s British screwball comedy that happens to have a fucking talking bear in it. And like, it has one of the best, most diverse casts I've ever seen of British actors who really, really just fucking nail it. And by the way, here's the spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen. Part two is even better. I'm going to yield my time there in terms of like saying anything. Tyler, who made this and um, who's in it? Little known director Paul King wrote, co-wrote and directed this. People might know him from his work on uh, British TV. He he works as a director and writer on The Mighty Boosh, and in uh, he was associate director on Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which are two seminal aughts uh, British comedies. And I feel like if you haven't seen either of those, definitely watch Garth Marenghi's uh, Dark Place. Hilarious. I never um, put that together, but it makes so much sense now. Wow. Um, that actually makes a lot of sense. The Mighty Boosh is a little bit weirder, but you should definitely, definitely try and watch it. He directed the like three series that uh, came out of those. It's a very cult comedy, the TV, sh- the TV show is anyway. And then his first feature film is Paddington. Um, That's insane. And you can tell Paddington, it's a... It's kind of a messy movie. It's a little sloppy. It's a first film, but it is someone putting every gag that they can think of into it. And Paddington did well. I remember it being really well received. It was better received in its home country of England. Paddington's a big deal in England. It kind of makes sense. Paddington 2, when it came out, there were, honest to God, critics that I respected being like, this is the best comedy movie of the decade. Like, this is one of the funniest movies of this decade and i was like no way (laughs) well and the thing is and can i tell you i think i think you said it perfectly right there do you know why it's the best comedy of the decade i would have to say it's because one of the people in the movie hugh grant is giving straight heat and is one of the funniest like just one of the funniest performances i've ever seen you also have uh, brandon gleason as a character named knuckles mcginty I don't need to say more about that. By the way, I'm changing my name to Knuckles again. Yeah. <laughs> and because you get all of the backstory to the first one out of the way. And it's weird. There's like underlying messages to both of these movies. Like this one is about like, or the first one is about the immigrant process and like how we treat immigrants. And the second one is about prison reform. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like oddly bizarre. And I mean, the bear is voiced by Ben Winshaw. If you don't know who that is, I, I don't blame you. He's kind of a person who like stays in the background of most stuff. He kills it as Paddington. Mm-hmm. It's one of his best performances. I will say this. I love him as Q in uh, Skyfall. I think he's amazing as Q. Okay. But I agree. This might be his best performance. Mm -hmm. And making her second appearance on the list, Sally Hawkins. Sally Hawkins is so fucking adorable in this movie. I don't know if Sally Hawkins is a mom or not, but goddamn, she can play a mom. 
she might play the greatest like she's one of the all-time cinematic moms in this specific movie honestly like all-timer for me <laughs> and, and hugh bonneville as the dad is incredible as well yeah no i the i what what makes it so sweet is that it's it is a, like a lot of british comedy it is a movie that is solely based on misunderstandings and people not being able to commun- communicate with one another and it goes down a path that is so wild <laughs> that you do not see coming. Well, Paddington getting arrested is the funniest thing imaginable. Cause it's just like small bear child <laughs> being I mean, arrested. And that's the thing, like Paddington, well, like how old do we think Paddington is? We think he's like he's maybe probably... like 15. He's about the age of the kids, right? I think so. I think he's supposed to be about the same age of the kids. Um, but he's like, he's a little bear in a raincoat with, with a red hat. And like, the whole premise of this movie is like, by the way, all the actors in this take it remarkable. There's no like, there's no like, oh, oh like he, we're winking at the camera because it's a bear. It's treated like, well, yeah, what if, what if just a fucking bear lived with this family? Like, yeah, what if that was the thing that happened in the world and was normal and the bear could talk? Like, mm. it's fucking crazy. By the way, if, if you and I ever have to go on the lamb, you're going to change your name to Phoenix Buchanan. Um, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. By the way, this might be Hugh Grant's greatest performance. He's so good in this movie. He deserved a fucking Oscar, like legitimately. Yeah, and you know what? I'll say this too. It's not, I'm, I'm going to tag it up because I think there are things to be said about the first one. Nicole Kidman is the villain in the first one. Also equally good. I I think I have love for both of these. I don't think you can watch this as a single. I think this has to be a double. I think that's necessary. I think so too. I think you could watch Paddington 2 without watching Paddington 1, but Paddington 1 is good. Like, it's not a bad movie. Like, we're not shitting on Paddington 1. Oh, no, no, no. It's not, it, we're not, but it's not as tight as Paddington 2. So Paddington, you said, gets arrested. Why does he get arrested? Because he was <laughs> he was framed, but he was trying to purchase a unique pop-up book that Hugh Grant also wants. And so Hugh Grant frames him for reasons I kind of forget, but he goes to prison and then went in prison because he is so such a wonderful outpouring like such a beautiful spirit he reforms prison completely by like giving all the prisoners like certain jobs including brandon gleason as knuckles mcginty who becomes a chef becomes really interested in in, like being a chef and he changes (laughs) the uniforms and is the chef of the prison is the chef of the prison because he sticks a marmalade sandwich in his mouth and they have to make marmalade so everyone can eat it. And like, also he puts one red sock in the wash and turns all of their their out, their prison outfits pink. And if you're asking yourself, well, what are the prison outfits? It's exactly what you think. It's black and white striped, but it becomes pink and black. And it's hysterical. Just the fact that Paddington says, I think it actually is going to make prison reform better. Like, and they're all just like gonna be like, you should shut your mouth before you, and eat your sandwich, it could be your last. Like the way those prisoners turn around because that little bear is nice to them is so cute. It is. It's I don't this movie. It's and, and at the same and at the same time, you have the it does. It really fucking did. We're gonna get to that scene, and I'm gonna try not to do it here. The scene where all the family is trying to investigate who actually stole this rare book. By the way, the thing that breaks your heart even more is Paddington didn't want this book for him. He wanted to buy it for his aunt Lucy's birthday because she's mm-hmm. never been to London. It's mm-hmm. so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, don't steal Paddington's book, you fucking prick. And Hugh, Hugh Grant is unapologetically the biggest dick in the world. I think it's because Hugh Grant is annoyed because he pulls Paddington up on stage and Paddington, like, outshines him. Oh, he does. And that's, does. like, literally he, the entire song. Yeah, he, 
It, it also has to do with that book because he knows that. By the way, Hugh Grant playing an actor who no longer acts because he doesn't want to be on stage with anyone else and does at one point, I think, six different voices while he's just walking around his apartment. It is probably Hugh Grant's best performance of the decade for like for sure. Like it yeah. actually might be yeah. one of the just best performances of the decade period. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very charming. And it begs you to ask the question as I assume we are getting a Paddington three because I think both of these did quite well. Mm hmm. And this movie I'm made gonna, $200 gonna million. Ask, dollars. ask you this. <laughs> yeah, that did very well. When and where did you first see this? I saw this opening week, baby. We watched Paddington. We were like, we were like, okay. I, I was like, I hear Paddington 2 is great. It opened up in England. It's not opening up here for a while. We should watch Paddington 2. We watched Paddington 1. And we were like, that's a, it's a, okay. That movie's incredible. We really liked Paddington 1, so we should go see Paddington 2. It's like when it opened, we like went and saw it. And it was like fucking transcendent like we both cried it was we brought our stuffed teddy bear because we like playing jokes on ourselves and i'll ask you this before we get to your why you make the third movie and you need to have obviously a villain who is british who's your third british villain uh maggie smith as the queen you make the qu <laughs> queen the villain you don't have to she doesn't have to be the queen but maggie smith i'd make it i'd make it um is it maggie smith? no dame judy dench that's something enough not maggie smith Maggie Smith. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and Judy Dench. No, Maggie's no, no. Maggie Smith is British. Actually, twins. You make it. You make it too. <laughs> you make, Maggie Smith. Oh my God! You make you make you make them you make them gray gardens, and they want to keep Paddington as their forever teddy bear. <laughs> and you can have it be about Brexit or whatever, but like, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. You can you can have it be Paddington needs to break away to uh, go like, get his own apartment. For my pitch, Benedict Cumberbatch. Actually, don't care yeah. what it is, just put him in there. The I ultimate villain. I don't know. There's um, something about like old British ladies, and I'm just like, oh, there's a, it's, a wealth. It's a great of idea. Untapped. I think your idea of us doing a Grey Gardens thing where they just like keep Paddington. It becomes like it becomes misery with Paddington Bear. And then you could have a you could have a good version of the sisters with Helen Mirren. Oh, Helen Mirren and Helena Bonham Carter. They're two sisters who work for Dame Dame Judi Dench and uh, Maggie Smith. These are just people I just want to do, like, really arch yeah. British comedy. That's yeah. really all yeah. I'm saying. So I just want them to do, like... <laughs> I just want Helen Bottom Carter in a Paddington movie. And, yeah, well, you know what? That's going to take us to your three minutes, then. And we're going to ask you, why does this deserve to be in the decade? It is legitimately one of my favorite comedies. It's a movie that I can probably watch anytime, any place. It's fluff, it's popcorn, but their performances at the center of it are so grounded and so good, especially Hugh Grant, especially Sally Hawkins, especially Ben Whitshaw as the voice of Paddington. It's just such a well-constructed, well-realized version of the story. This director, Paul King, I would watch him make any movie at this point because of it. And if you just, if you need a great comedy, you cannot go wrong with Paddington 1 and Paddington 2. They are, in, in their own ways great and i feel like a lot of people might have like passed on paddington too because i'm like i'm not gonna watch a movie about a fucking talking bear but you should do yourself a favor and on a on a day where you had like a bad day at work or like someone yelled at you or something bad has happened just like just spend like like what three and a half hours watching the two paddington movies you'll cheer right up they're both delightful and that's my time yeah, that leads us into my number six. And we have spoken about a gentleman before who made two other movies this year. And one of them was the Academy Award winning film, 12 Years a Slave. And the other one is the movie that Tyler had on his list, Shame. 
Coming in slightly higher on my list than Tyler's is a movie also by him that came out in this decade. And it's a movie that came out last year. And I got to tell you, when I first read the premise of this movie, I thought to myself, oh, no, Steve McQueen has gone off the rails. I don't think this is going to work. And like everyone in it, but I just don't think this is going to work. This seems like a real thing where he's trying something. I just don't know if it's going to pay off. And boy, howdy, was I wrong? Because the movie we are going to talk about is the 2018 movie starring Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki in a criminally robbed Oscar-nominated performance, Liam Neeson, John Bernthal, Colin Farrell, Brian Tyree Henry, and Daniel Kaluuya. This is 2018's crime drama by Steve McQueen, which I believe is in contention for one of the best cops and robbers movie of all time. This is Widows. My name is Jamal Manning. I'm running for Alderman of the 18th Ward. It's not the 18th Ward. Yes, but I'd like to have a word with you to discuss some urgent matters. No. It's not the 18th Ward. Get out! Come here, little fella. Because I didn't know your husband. I didn't know your husband. Not really. Mm -mm. But he stole $2 million from me. Stole it right out of a van like he knew where it would be. I just want to know why. I'm not involved in my husband's business at all, and I don't know why you're here. Hmm. Well, we won't take a moment to discuss. Oh, yes. <laughs> Mommy's got a big house, yeah? See this? Still haven't read that. Everybody out there involved in Harry Rollins' business, as far as the eye can see. But you, you here living with him, and you not. I didn't work for Harry. I worked for the teachers' union. I understand. Criminals like cops, they don't bring their shit home. You have no idea, do you? Or did you choose not to know? It doesn't matter. Please join me. Oh, come on, I don't bite. Hey, what do they say about dogs, huh? They're good judges of character. You see, that money was meant to buy me a new life, help with my campaign, you understand? Listen, I don't have your money. Now, wh why don't you just go out and make this more? Is this is about my life! <gasps> this is about my life! <sighs> because it's about my life, it now becomes about yours. I told you, I don't know anything. No, and even if that's true, you have a nice penthouse here. You got a lot of nice furniture. You got cars, you got a closet full of clothes, none of which burnt up in the van, by the way. I'll give you one month to liquidate. I'll call the police. Mr. Rollins, do you know what the police did the night that Harry died? Do you? They laughed. <laughs> they laughed over his melted, burnt body, and they scraped whatever they could into a bag, and they went to a bar to celebrate because they give zero fucks about Harry Rollins' fucking widow. You're nothing now. Welcome back. So, uh, my money, one month. And Tyler, before we start, I want you to wrap 
for me while I stare directly at you just very upsettingly. Please don't. <laughs> I mean, how good is this movie? It's interesting that Daniel Kaluuya not only has the best protagonist performance of the decade, but he also might have he might have the best antagonist performance of the decade. When you stab a guy in a wheelchair in the legs to see where he starts to feel it, it's pretty rough. Pr- pretty rough. Pretty. That's pretty raw. <laughs> so Widows, let's go through it, I guess. It's directed by Steve McQueen. It, we named everyone in it. Uh, what it's about is about four women who are kind of tied together through the fact that their husbands used to rob places together. They now, with their husbands being dead, they rob the wrong guy, and that guy is coming for his money, and he comes to Viola Davis in the form of Brian Tyree. By the way, Brian Tyree Henry is a fucking amazing performance in this movie. Like, I think Brian Tyree Henry should have been up for supporting actor for this. He's so fucking good. Uh, He's amazing in this, and he doesn't have, like, that much screen time. Like, he's only in the movie, like, what, maybe, like, 20 minutes tops? But those are uh, fucking commanding 20 minutes. I'll I'll say this. I want to do an entire movie with, like, and I want it to be a cops movie. I want to do an entire movie about, like, a squad, like, not a squad, but a a group of black cops. And I want it to be Daniel Kaluuya. I want it to be Brian Tyree Henry. And I want it to be Lakeith Stanfield. And I want it to be Michael B. Jordan. And I want that movie right now. We are in like a really interesting time for Renaissance of like good young male black actor. Mm-hmm. Like we're in like a real powerhouse time for it. Not to mention Brian Tyree Henry also has a like one scene interaction in uh, If Bill Street Could Talk in the same year. That absolutely steals the fucking show. Holy crap. I know, right? Spoiler alert, everyone. The scene where he's talking to Viola Davis is what you're going to have heard. And that dog is fine. I promise you. Brian Tyree Henry did not hurt that dog. It was a stunt dog. Yeah. It was me in a dog suit. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can do it. If you look closely, that dog has a helmet on. Uh, it's professional. It's trained. He's wearing a little He's wearing a little dog vest. They just painted it white. Oh, that poor like dog. Fire... That, when he grabs that dog, I'm legitimately like, this dude might kill that fucking dog right now, and we all have to accept it. I was the other way around. I was like, man, that dog's gonna oh. fucking bite him. Brian Tyree Henry is the fucking kingpin of this movie. He's good in this. He's really... Yeah. He, he's really... I gotta get closer to the mic. He's really good in this. So, Brian Tyree Henry is this mob boss, who, by the way, is also kind of running for mayor. Is it mayor? No, I think he's running for... Um, it's like a really mayor. low... It's, it's like alderman or something. Isn't, isn't it like alderman or something? He's running for a certain district. And it might be alderman. Yeah. It might be um, like house representative for the city. Yeah. I don't know. It's not mayor, but it's like a city level. No, it is alderman. Yeah, you're right. He's running for alderman in like the, the south side of Chicago. And he is running against Colin. By the way, once again, Colin Farrell showing up on one of these lists. Colin Farrell is fucking amazing in this movie. He, again, is amazing. Uh, he's he's so good. No and, one understands. I don't think anyone really, except for you and me, appreciate how good Colin Farrell can be. Like, I feel like it's not something talked enough. Like, he's Colin another Farrell guy. is a legit good fucking actor. He's another guy where you, he was in The Lobster think and, that like, had a Do you think it's that he's too handsome? I think so. And I think he also had a really shitty run as a leading man where he was drunk in most of his films, whether it's behind the, behind the scenes or like during them. And he was also in some bad stuff, but I think since like 2000, I want to say like 2011, definitely since 2015, every performance has been incredible. 
The dude is just good at like picking like roles where I think he knows his strength. They'll all admit it. He's been in Winner's Tale. That's not a good movie. I said 2015 then. Um, oh, 2015. Uh, yeah, he, he really, I mean, shit. Yeah, he's got, he's got some really I mean, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is not great. but the first, the first one is really good, though. I like the first one. I enjoy the okay. first one. Right. Killing the Sacred Deer, we've talked about it. Beguiled is a wild movie. Roman J. Israel, one of yours that you love. He's great in Roman J. Israel. That is a movie that is he a is. mess that I love. I understand why people don't uh, click with it as much as I do. I love Roman J. Israel Esquire, but he is fantastic in that movie. He is. He is quite good. And, of course, he is also in the movie we're talking about, Widows. This movie is essentially about four women who are forced to rob a place because they owe money to a guy you shouldn't owe money to. And if they don't, he's going to kill them. And it's kind of about that. It's kind of about this political campaign between these two rivaling sides, white versus black. But man, Steve McQueen just knows how to make a movie about people in dire situations. Yeah. So you've explained that, like, they're all widows. (laughs) And after their husbands were a part of the crew, they botch a job. And the women are Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki, and Cynthia Erivo? Cynthia Erivo is not part of the crew, but... um, She becomes part of the crew. She becomes part of the crew when someone else drops out. By the way, good fucking twists in this movie. Good fucking mystery movie. Mm -hmm. Or Michael Fassbender says he has a big penis. Liam Neeson just showed up and said, hold my drink. Because the man with the largest penis is now here. Liam Neeson is fucking amazing as a villain in this movie. Who would have known he was actually a villain kind of in real life? Uh, spoiler, and also, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's quite yeah. good, Nick. This was, this was before, before that. <laughs> Why did you make me remember that? Be- because, because Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson said some fucked up stuff, and I'm not going to cancel Liam Neeson for it, but fuck it, man. Like, that's a pretty fucked up thing that he's... You can look yeah. it up on your own time, folks. I'm not doing it. But this movie is just like... By, by the way, this is low-key. I'll tell you this. This is one of the things that I am... This is going to be my first one on the road of saying, like, I think it's wrong that this movie didn't get more attention than it did. This should have been up for picture, in my opinion. This should have been up for lead actress. Elizabeth Dubecki should have been given a Best Supporting Actress nomination at the least. Brian Tyree Henry should have been up for supporting. This movie was wildly underrepresented during awards season. And I think that's annoying. And it's rewatchable too. I rewatched it with Brielle like a couple a couple months ago. The movie really works well. It's very quickly paced. It never wastes your time. The secondary plots are really good. I mean, the people who say it's the best are some 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 good critics. Uh, have it on their ten of the year. Have any Academy Awards? No. I don't believe it did. That sucks. Because uh, I think Kalua could have or Kaluuya could have got a got a nomination for uh, supporting. We'll see what happens with Queen and Slim. Uh, mm. (laughs) We'll see. I'm I'm curious. Uh, Yeah, I'm curious too. But my curious is much more of a, like, that could be bad. (laughs) Oh, it could be, but I think it's going to be good. But (laughs) Widows, I saw it opening weekend, and I was not fucking disappointed. I went to, like, the earliest show. There was, like, nobody in there. It was fucking perfect. Oh, my God, me too. I did the same thing. Like, before work one day, I was like, oh, it's, like, playing at, like, 10 o'clock. Or, like, it was, like, on a weekend or something like that. And I was like, oh, I was locked down there. It's a long-ass movie, too. Yeah, it's, like, two hours. And, yeah, I mean, I can start my three whenever you're ready. Three, two, one, go. Widow's not the movie he wins the Oscar for, and he did that a couple years before for 12 Years a Slave, which is an amazing movie as well. But Widow's is the kind of movie that it needs to be. It's a down-and-out crime heist movie that 
takes the premise of four women doing it and doesn't do it in a way where it's like, oh, they're women and they're doing it like other movies have done. It just happens to be that they like they're just stuck in this life because of other circumstances. And I love the way it does it. I think it's one of the best like I think it has one of the best ensemble casts of the decade, too. It's absolutely incredible. Elizabeth Debicki is amazing in it, as I've said before. Colin Farrell is incredible. Brian Terry Henry, uh, Daniel Kalu, they're all great. I mean, Viola Davis is amazing in this movie. She should have been up for Best Actress. I was campaigning hard for her on, like, on everything that I would write about it. And yeah, this movie deserves to be there. Steve McQueen made a great crime thriller. The dude has made a movie about a true event in history. He made a movie about addiction. He made a movie about slavery. And he's made a movie about banks, bank robbers and gangsters. I can't wait to see what he does next. Steve McQueen is certainly in the conversation for maybe having one of the better decades as a filmmaker. And I think it cannot be more amplified than here with Widows and also Shame. I mean, like, these are two great examples. So Steve McQueen, front runner for my personal um, decade for best director in some ways. So yeah, like I said, Steve McQueen, Widows, go see it. It's amazingly quick too, even though it's very long, it works. We're at number six, right? Yeah, that's 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 the end of the first half of our list, well, we're halfway, ladies and gentlemen. We're halfway there. Yeah. So yeah, welcome to number six, guys. Welcome to the rest spot. And oh, oh my god. We Ben and I need a rest. Uh, yeah. So this is the end of this episode. Next episode will definitely be from five to one. Um, yep, and we will be breaking down our top five of the decade. And Tyler, before we leave them, two things. One, why don't you give them your 10 to 6 again, and I'll do okay. the same, and then we will talk about next week. My 10 to 6 are Night of Cups, Before Midnight, Shame, Interstellar, and Paddington 2. And of course, mine are The Shape of Water, Dread, Tree of Life, Inside Lewin Davis and Widow. And guys, next week we will be breaking down our five to ones and we will be doing that. But at the end of that, guys, we will be doing one other thing. We will be handing out four awards. We will be handing out a best pick of the decade, a best director of the decade, and a best actor and actress of the decade. However, we are not going to be basing them off of our list. We're going to be basing them off of each other's list. And what's going to happen is Tyler is going to pick something from all of those. And to keep in mind, it doesn't just represent, like, whoever he picks for actor. Like, let's say he picks someone, like, I don't know, just, like, let's say insert actor A. He doesn't have to just pick it for that movie. It could be because he did other things during this decade as well. And that's what we'll be doing at the end. So we'll also be giving you our best decade awards as well. And these are these are the people who are going on, like, the Decade Hall of Fame. So that'll be for next week. And we'll also be counting down our 5 to 1. And you guys will hear that next week on TWGTF part two of our best of the decade, 2010 to 2019. Until then, guys, you can check us out on Twitter at TWGTFpod. You can follow me at ET Critic. Uh, Tyler, is there anything you want to plug for next week or anything like that? No, I, I live in the south side of Chicago. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I don't know uh, what that means, guys. I, I'm sorry. No, it's good. I, no, it's good. No, it was, it was a widow's joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He lives in London in an adorable little flat and he eats marmalade sandwiches. Thank you. Thank um, you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, so for TWGTF, Two White Guys Talking Film, I have, of course, been your host, Ben. And I'm the law. Damn it. That was good. Um, <laughs> and remember, guys, if you're sitting in the... Uh, in the Fuck, that was good. And if you're sitting in the front of the theater, guys, remember, if Daniel Kalu is just hard staring you, just, just make him a marmalade sandwich. Maybe that'll make him happy. Or he's just going to shoot you in the face. Fuck, that comes out of nowhere. Law. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Ben, just letting you know that these were a couple of clips 
that we just couldn't put in the best of because they fit too well into the conversations we were having. But we had to put them at the end due to editing and just some other fun stuff. So I hope you'll enjoy. Anytime you hear Adam Driver say the word shout, that's how you know we're on to a different conversation. So enjoy. And we'll see you next week for part two of our best of the decade. Shout. Also known as the Mm. only good Richard Linklater movie this decade. I would heartily disagree. Um, Bernie is the other one, I think. What's that? Bernie. It's from like 2011, Jack Black. Oh, Matthew no, no. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's another one we're, not, we're definitely not thinking of. <sighs> fucking talking about everybody wants them. No, no. You, you'll, you'll see when we get there. Um, oh, right. We are talking about another one. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> it's on my it's list. It's on your list. <laughs> Fuck. It's not. It's not your fault. It's because I asked you to switch, which I got to tell you now. After watching it last night, I would totally still put it back on my list. Okay, I'm gonna give, um, it, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you an, uh, 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 a multiple edit if you want to put what just happened at the end. Yeah, go right ahead. We can put this in the real thing. Yeah, that's fine. Um, Shout. Uh, just so you know, I've watched between <laughs> between the Tree of Life, Silence. You can bleep that one out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I'm this. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking. Well, to leave them. all of these out. No, no, no. This oh, okay. is this is a cut. This is an edit. Don't put this in. Okay. Um, between okay. I was just talking. I was meant to talk. I meant to tell you this before we got on mic. But between the Tree of Life, Silence, Margaret, and uh, the fucking Irishman, I've seen like, I've seen like the that's like twelve hours of movies. I'm, I'm like I've seen so many yeah, other movies. Yeah. I'm so tired. Shout. I'll add to that really quickly. I think the yeah. Coen Brothers are in what I would consider their late period and we'll see if they make very many movies apparently what has happened is one of the Coens has decided mm-hmm. to focus on theater a little bit more and so they've decided to kind of like slow down on making movies so we'll see we'll see hmm. we'll, we will see Interesting. I would love for them to make more movies because uh, like they make some of the most interesting movies but... did you see what Joel Cohen is doing next year was it maybe it was Ethan who was who's slowing down? No. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you something, okay? Oh boy. Oh no. And I want you, I want you, I want you to li- listen to this. Uh, Joel Cohen will be for the first time writing and directing by himself um, an adaptation of the Scottish play Macbeth. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you three people who are involved in this. Brendan Gleeson plays King Duncan, who is the guy who gets killed. Francis McDormand plays Lady Macbeth. A uh, very, very important character. And Denzel Washington. Ooh. What is this movie going to be? I would, uh, I would, I would, I would like, I would like that movie. Shout. Wow. You had, you had some time left there, but I good did. for you. I did. I mean, there's not a lot to say about Pattinson. Yeah, that, that yeah. movie literally made me, oh my God, those last 40 seconds where there's that knock at the door. And I'm just like, they're, they're not going to do it, are they? And, and oh my God. And, and then they all just go lynch Peter Capaldi. <laughs> that would be how I do. <laughs> Let's lynch this white guy. Everyone's like, "Woo!" And it's like, "What do I do?" Oh, yeah. And, and Patty's like, "We can't lynch. We can't lynch poor Mr. Peter Capaldi. He's the doctor." And they're like, "Ah, oh, he sucks." Like Paddington would talk them down. That's the third movie. Paddington has to negotiate them not killing Peter Capaldi. Put him in a little negotiator outfit. It'd be adorable. Yeah, and when that last that last little moment happens, yeah, I big 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 tears. I think the credit scene is also like super funny because it's it's uh, yeah <laughs> it's, this this you should watch it for this too. It's Hugh Grant uh, doing a musical number in the prison. 
<laughs> That's right, because they say you need to dedicate yourself. Uh, yeah. oh. Anyway, great movie. Please, Mr. Kennedy, take one, and we're rolling. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. One second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I want to go. Don't show me in the outer Out of space. 